the, those that are coming from Transnet Group, uh, the officials of parliament, <clears throat> I take this opportunity to welcome all of you uh, in today's meeting. Today is the 15th of June, 2022. And this is the eve of the June 16 youth holiday, uh, celebrating the struggles that were waged by our youth in line with the emancipation of our country. Um, <clears throat> I therefore want to take this opportunity to wish you a happy Youth Day uh, because I'm sure all of us tomorrow will be focused on that. Um, <clears throat> the meeting um, is now duly opened and uh, today we consider mainly two items. The presentation that we are to receive uh, from Transnet Group, as well as uh, the consideration of uh, the minutes of the previous meeting. Having said that, um, I have received the apologies uh, from the minister and the deputy minister. Uh, today, the National Assembly has a three uh, lineup um, and therefore they are unable to join us in this meeting. We have received their apologies. Um, <clears throat> I have not myself had an opportunity to meet with the minister and uh, <clears throat> my office is busy trying to schedule a meeting so that uh, we can have an audience uh, to also raise some of the concerns which were raised by the honorable members. I'm processing that. And uh, in, the, in the near future, I will be meeting with the minister. I can guarantee that so that I can highlight those matters. Uh, members, the meeting is open and uh, I want to take this opportunity at this point uh, to ask uh, the officials of uh, the committee to indicate the apologies that we might have received from other members. Uh, just before this meeting began or written messages that we received a few days ago. Amanda? Thank you, Chair. I have received three apologies, an apology of Honorable Abuskahni and Honorable Smith, as well as Honorable DeBrain. Thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you very much. Those are the three apologies that we have. Okay. Uh, are there any okay. further? Yes, Honourable Chairperson. Yes, Honourable Modisa. Yes, let me put an apology for Honourable Mamro Bella. She is out of the country attending youth uh, conference in uh, Europe. Okay. I assume then, Honourable Modisa, that there is no internet in Europe, so she is unable to connect virtually. Or maybe she's in a session. Thank you. Oh, I she, think she's in a session as we speak. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Honorable Modise. Uh, that apology is noted. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, well, Honorable Mugause. Uh, Chairperson, I just want to uh, point out something here. 
before you take the point of apologies. Chairperson, it looks like it's a norm within the, the portfolio that you are holding, chairing mm. this committee. And it's a norm in this committee, select committee, that the minister can just send an apology. Uh, there's no deputy minister who can stand in and all is well. And we are made to accept these things. I don't know who said it's, 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 it's casting stone that uh, if the minister is not there for a period of time, we as members can just accept and uh, allow the department to continue with the business whilst the political head does not show any interest in the work of his own portfolio. Chairperson is wrong. And it's not for the first time that we are speaking about this. Secondly, Chairperson, it's extremely wrong for you to seek audience on our behalf as a select committee with the minister, requesting him to honor the appointment of the select committee. We need to hold him accountable and it's our constitutional right to do so. He undermined us from the beginning of this term and he's still doing that. So it's wrong. He needs to know that he accounts to this select committee, not to the chairperson of the select committee. So I object to your proposal that you are going to seek audience from the minister for the minister to come. And it's, it's not for you to beg him. He's compelled by the constitution to come and account to us. It is, it is not up to you, chairperson. Honestly, we need to look into this. And I'm honestly putting it on the table to say, why do you have to accept the department to come alone without the minister? Recording in progress. Why? I'm going to propose that we seek we seek political representation for this from this department before this meeting starts, Chairperson. That will be my submission for now. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Mukause, for that intervention. Uh, <clears throat> no, I, I note what you are saying, but as you recall, I'm not sure if you were present in the meeting where this matter was raised. And then uh, I had, uh, I was given a full mandate to ensure that in future, the ministers, uh, together with the deputy minister, they must come to this uh, committee because there has been a trend as you are pointing out. So it was in that context that uh, I started a process as part of the handover uh, of me as the new chairperson in this committee to engage uh, with the department. Uh, so it is in that context. Uh, it's not like my own uh, making that uh, I decided on that. But I agree with the points that you are making because they were seriously raised from the very onset when I came through to this committee that uh, there's been a trend that uh, the minister and the deputy are never here 
and therefore we are pursuing the matter. We are not begging. We are correct that they are accountable here. We exercise oversight over their offices and their departments. So uh, you, you are very much correct. But I don't want us to belabor the point because uh, I am processing it, as I say, as part of the handover. And uh, I'm going to ensure that we do that. Obviously, there has to be someone who actions the decisions that are taken by this committee. It is not something that we can all do all at once. So part of the processing of our decision is that I take the responsibility in ensuring that they get implemented to a point where in what we expect to happen does happen. So uh, I, I, I note that uh, expression, honorable member. Arnold, you want to say something? I see you're yes, already yes, standing yes. on the podium. Come again, Jefferson. I see that you are already standing on the podium before I even recognize you. Uh, yeah, good morning, Chairperson. <laughs> and good morning, good morning also to the honorable members and then uh, the officials that is present. No, Chairperson, I think we must take a stand here. Um, and uh, Commissioner Makawusi, uh, who is also an honorable member here and part of the committee, is right. We can't continue like this. And uh, we, must, we must not continue with this meeting without the political principles here. It's unacceptable. So I second the proposal that we, 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 uh, we must get uh, the principles here. The deputy or the minister must come here with the department and account also. We can't continue like this, say uh, person. This is now your, uh, your, your, your second meeting or third meeting. And they are not here. Okay. And, and uh, no, we must keep them, Chairperson. Uh, All right. No, I, I hear that you are seconding the motion. Uh, members, there is a, a motion which is put forward by Honorable Mukause and is a different view. Uh, I see the hand of the Honorable Modise. You are recognized. Yes, uh, uh, good morning, honorable members and uh, the officials from the department. Honorable Chair, I agree. I know the point that the honorable members has raised. But today, because of, uh, like you, you said, it's a three-line whip in the National Assembly, whereby all minister and the deputy minister are needed to be in the House. Uh, I would say for the last time, let's continue with the meeting it, uh, in their absence. And we know very well from time to time, our deputy minister, uh, when he's not committed, he's attending our committee. He's taking our committee very serious. I noted all the, the issues uh, that members have raised. They are true. But please, uh, I plead with honorable members to continue with the meeting of today. Uh, thank you, honorable Modisa. There is a counter proposal that uh, let us not put a dead stop to this meeting and allow it to happen. And then maybe the issue that is being raised that uh, a follow-up meeting will not sit without uh, the political principles of the department being here. 
Sorry. Let me let me recognize the honorable Nana. Uh, colleagues, I'm, I'm one of those people that are actually very much unhappy about the persistent absence of Minister Godan. Before the budget vote debates, I do not know when last did I see him. We are not friends. I don't intend to be friends with him, of course, but I'm just saying I don't know when last did I see him in front of the committee appearing before before the committee. But and and colleagues will recall, you know, Twanin, we teach people how to treat us. And when they treat us in the manner in which we we taught them, we then start to complain. We have been talking about this from 2019. And I am really tempted to, to second what Honorable Makau says just proposed. But what weighs heavily on me is the fact that in our meeting of last week, we had asked you to look into this matter. And you have set a process in motion in, in addressing this matter. So, so I would really plead with, with Honorable Arnold and Honorable Makausa to allow you space to conclude the process. Hopefully, uh, it is not going to be too long before we see fruits or you, you come and report to the committee as to the outcomes of your engagements with the minister. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Nana. Uh, so, <clears throat> as it were, Honorable Members, uh, we have the two motions, and uh, the second motion uh, goes back to the initial uh, decision that we had taken that we sort of start a process of engaging and ensuring that we take corrective measures and we ensure that going forward after we have processed that resolution, uh, that this matter is corrected and ensure that uh, going forward, the minister or the deputy will always appear uh, when uh, we have this meeting, especially where we have uh, said we expect them to come and make representation here. So <clears throat> I would plead with the members that it is not going to be too long and I'm addressing this matter quite objectively because uh, I, I represent the committee in doing it, in doing this, and I represent the interests of the members. So I am myself as the chairperson in agreement, and I respect the resolution because I'm part of uh, its making, and therefore we will take it to its logical conclusion. Uh, I, I don't want us to take much time to discuss this. And I had <clears throat> wished that perhaps we would have discussed it in camera, but it's fine. There's nothing that we're hiding about what we are talking about. We will take it forward. And uh, I am sure that uh, uh, in the next meeting, I will be giving you a progress report. 
I will not may I will not wait until the matter is is concluded, but I will give you progress report. So <clears throat> that should be telling that uh, already the process is in motion, and therefore I will be in a position to give you progress report, whether it's positive or negative. I'll come back to you, members, and tell you exactly what is obtaining. Can yeah. we agree? Yes, Honorable Mkausa. Uh, Chairperson, um, in as much as uh, you have agreed in the previous meeting where I was not present, mm -hmm. that you are going to seek audience from uh, the ministry. Uh, but I want to rightfully point out, Chairperson, that this is not starting now. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you an honorable Mudise. If you allow these ministries that you are chairing to undermine us, they are not going to undermine the EFF, they are going to undermine the ANC, which is chairing this committee. Now, I want them to know and understand that we are not the type of people who take kindly when people undermine us. We hold people accountable, irrespective of their position within the government of South Africa this term. We want to hold the minister accountable and the minister cannot uh, be immune to attending this select committee and prioritizing a three-line whip of the National Assembly. If they miss a three-line whip within the National Assembly and attending a committee, it doesn't mean that they are absent. So none of you's got a right to come here and make excuses for ANC deployees for not attending uh, meetings. The officials within the ministry are not political heads. When we speak as members of parliament, we want answers from political heads. They can add where they add as senior officials, but we want political heads. So when you let them to undermine you, don't involve the EFF. They will undermine you in this committee. They will continue to undermine Honorable Mudise in a committee like they are doing. It's because when we speak, you are protecting them. They take that as senior officials, their principals, to say, we are fine in those committees. Whilst they know that other political parties have an objection to what they are doing. So don't involve us, Chairperson. Go and get your political... Uh, deployee to come and account to the select committee. Honorable Mugawusa, no, uh, we hear what you are saying, but I don't think your, your, your conclusion is correct that we are bodyguards to ministers here. We have a responsibility to uh, ensure that the ministers account here. We represent another arm of the state which is responsible for our oversight, which include exactly the point we are making of ensuring that the executives are made to account. And that's what we represent. Uh, I, I don't think we must cast aspersions. We have a resolution collectively, and we agreed that there should be a process in place to ensure that what we expect to happen, it actually does happen in line with the principles of accountability. So we'll do that. And uh, I would not want to delve into the politics now that you want us to really uh, take uh, that particular direction. Let's agree, as I have indicated, that uh, we will uh, ensure that we put these matters forward to the minister 
and uh, and I will update you in the next meeting as to how far have we gone. Let's agree in that spirit, uh, honorable members, and uh, <clears throat> uh, allow uh, therefore for the Transnet Group uh, to present to us um, what we expect to see. We did receive the presentation uh, yesterday. I think it was the updated uh, or the latest uh, presentation, which is going to serve here. Um, I, I would like now to invite uh, the leader of delegation uh, from uh, Transnet Group, uh, representing, of course, the DPE. And if there are any other officials that are coming directly from the DPE, they must uh, help us uh, by introducing themselves. The leader of delegation must help us by introducing everyone who's here, Transnet Group, as well as the subsidiary. Uh, which is the Transnet uh, <clears throat> Port Authority. You are, you are welcome and you can take the floor. Good morning, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. Um, I'm uh, Push Darby, CEO of Transnet. Um, I will do uh, a brief introduction and then, um, uh, this is not the first slide, guys. Can you go to the beginning of the presentation, please? Um, and we will have uh, Chair the uh, CEO of TNPA, Bebi Silinga, who will talk through the port master plans. And then uh, our chief of strategy, Dr. Andrew Shaw, will make a short presentation. Uh, Chair, I'm not sure if the DPE wants to say something. Otherwise, we can, we can uh, start with the presentation. I will just pause briefly. Okay. Um, can you go to the, to the next slide, please? So it's a, a chair for us. This is actually really um, an, an exciting uh, development, both the um, expansion of Durban, which is way uh, long overdue, um, as well as the investments uh, to bring Moha to full capacity utilization, uh, which is actually really taken us a long time. Uh, it, you know, when you when you consider the fact that the design of the port of Durban and its capacity was fundamentally set in 1963, uh, uh, when um, way before, I mean, if you think of industrial activity in South Africa, probably the most active sectors at the time were uh, autos manufacturing. Um, in fact, the terminal that you see uh, on the left-hand side is pretty much uh, what we still have uh, till, uh, till today. Um, I just, you know, one of the things that when you look at the positioning of uh, Port of Durban, which is the hub port and probably the second largest and most busy port on the continent, to have remained exactly at this stage is, um, I think, uh, quite unfortunate. Um, recently, we've been spending a little bit more time just benchmarking and looking what, uh, at developments with other ports on the continent. Um, our total capacity in Durban today is 3.1 million TUs. If you look at a, the port of Abidjan, Abidjan's uh, GDP is $50 billion. Our GDP is $422 billion. And I think that's number, uh, 2020's uh, figures. Their total capacity at the port of Abidjan has now been increased to 2.7 million TEUs. And if you look at our total capacity in Durban, it's 3.1 uh, million TEUs. Just keep in mind the relative sizes of the two economies. The debt 
of the port of Abidjan is now at uh, 17 meters, 16 to 17 meters. The depth of Durban is anywhere between 11 and uh, 12.2 meters. Also, furthermore, if you look at the capacity and the size of vessels that are now able to uh, arrive fully laden in Abidjan, 14,000 TEUs, uh, and in our case, we can only take 11,000 uh, TEUs fully laden. So it's just, I suppose, Chair, by putting, comparing, putting those comparative stats is to uh, bring to the point that this development is way overdue. And we all have to find, as just as South Africans, um, and even ourselves as translators are working very hard to make sure that we ensure that this development happens as fast as we possibly can. Now, when we present one of the things that you, you hear when we talk about the increasing of the capacity from the 3.1 uh, million tons that we TEUs that we want to move from to 11.3, there are some who argue uh, that we are expanding it too fast and there's no demand. We would argue that it is absolutely essential that we do the development as fast as we can because when we look at the, at the volumes that we potentially can move in South Africa, uh, a discussion about rail, we'd be more than uh, happy to have a presentation done to the select committee chair at some future date. We know that there's excessive, that there's huge volumes that we would be able to move uh, out of this port if we had uh, invested. And then there's the opportunity of transshipment. And transshipment would enable us to get too much uh, larger volumes, because the nice trend that's emerging is that ports are looking, shipping lines are looking for uh, large ports, which are able to take large containers and use those as hub ports are moving out. Durban is a natural hub uh, for southern the southern hemisphere, firstly, but also for um, for the continent. Uh, Chair, I will hand over to Bethesda Linga. Can you move on to the next slides, uh, please? I will hand over to Becky Slinger at this point. Thank you. Um, good morning, Chair. Um, morning, and Desi Linger. Um, Chair, uh, uh, how are you? I see you are still right. trying to get ready. Yeah, no, I'm all right, Chair. Chair thank you so much. Uh, Chair, uh, just to continue on the, uh, the presentation, the introductory remarks uh, by the GCE, um, we've uh, uh, clustered the two ports because um, they are complementary insofar as the development that's actually going to, um, uh, to be undertaken, um, insofar as the uh, port of Devon is concerned, being, if you like, the hub, the, uh, the container, I would, I would say the real uh, deal in the South African uh, port system to the extent that it contributes significantly close to just above 40% of uh, our revenue and basic, and basic uh, economic uh, activity. Um, and uh, the port of Richards Bay um, uh, being a hub in particular for the dry bulk um, and some of which would be relocated from the port of Devon and we'll see in the um, uh, presentations. Um, and lastly, the um, we have at the moment um, a base, um, South African Navy base in um, the port of uh, Devon um, in the Salisbury Island. And the intention is to then uh, relocate that to the port of Richards Bay, which obviously 
would also help in so far as uh, locating that uh, security capability at the entrance of the coastal part of our country um, and maintain a satellite station um, at the port of uh, Deben as the economic hub. Um, if we can move to the next slide, please. Move to the next slide. Yes, and and that particular uh, slide, uh, chair, reflects uh, Devon as it, it currently uh, uh, exists. Um, and I'm not going to spend much time on it because we will be speaking on each particular element um, as we make the presentation. If we can move uh, uh, to the next uh, slide. Now, chair, in this uh, 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 particular slide, I would want to to start by looking at a. Um, which is in the uh, middle, if you see where uh, A is, and that is where uh, uh, Pier 1 and Pier 2 um, is actually uh, uh, located. Um, and in particular, um, there's a process um, for Pier 2, which is um, an invitation um, for a private sector a partner to actually uh, uh, partner the current uh, terminal operator there, which is a Transnet uh, uh, port uh, terminal. And then if you look at B, which is not, um, you would see that uh, that's where the Etequini, and I don't know if we can move the Kesa uh, from a presentation point of view, um, that's where the Etequini Yach Basin is actually a, a, a concerned. And uh, we then at the entrance of the port, which is number one uh, chair, um, on the uh, right-hand side, um, that's where, that's where uh, the cruise terminal at uh, that facility has been uh, uh, completed. It has been uh, uh, built over a period of about three years, was at some stage affected by the uh, COVID uh, shutdown, but it is uh, completed. And then we move to number two, Chair, which is the uh, autom automotive uh, terminal. This is one of the developments that is meant to be expanded, and it's going to require a lot of configuration of the existing footprint um, including a, a, a connecting with a portion of land that is currently outside the port as it actually stands. And if we then uh, move a, a chair to the next uh, a, a thing, which would be um, in this uh, a particular instance, um, the container terminal. Um, can we move to number four, container uh, uh, terminal, which is where the 1.8 TEUs. This is a, a chair. We've gone out again on an, a, a PSP on that particular a, a development um, with a view of increasing that particular capacity at point. And this is one of the first developments that we're actually uh, undertaking. Um, and if we move to the MPT, the multi-purpose number five, which is on the left hand, uh, bottom left hand side. Um, yeah. Um, and, and that particular uh, uh, development would be. The next uh, program that would actually uh, uh, follow, Chair, um, and you then move to number six, which is where Pier 2 is actually uh, uh, located. Now, there are interconnectedness, Chair, insofar as how these developments are actually going to take place, because in some instances, um, there is relocation of some of these activities that needs to be relocated to another place to open up the space for the development to actually take place in that uh, a particular area. And then uh, number seven, uh, uh, being also the um, SACD site, 
which would also be number seven, which is at the bottom, which is uh, would also be used for a container uh, storage. At the moment, there's a current uh, tenant in there, and the timing of that uh, relocation would obviously be at a time when uh, that lease agreement has also uh, run its uh, its head. And number eight, which is at the uh, at bottom uh, left, um, we have the main entrance to what I would call the liquid bulk um, uh, heartland of the port of Devon, as well as Pier 1 and Pier 2, which is through a road which is called the Bayhead Road. It is that road or access road that was in fact cut off um, during the around Easter, uh, Easter floods. Um, and there's a need to actually upgrade that particular road, de-risk it by uh, creating alternatives in the event that a particular carriageway is adversely uh, affected um, so that we maintain um, constant accessibility um, uh, of the port or to the port um, under whatever circumstances that may actually arise. And the ninth one, uh, uh, Chair, which is uh, at the, the top, um, is uh, the Maiden Wharf uh, Channel Deepening. Uh, one of the points that uh, uh, the GCE uh, uh, alluded to is the size of the vessels that this port is capable of accommodating. Not only do we need to deepen it, um, at both at birth, but also the approach uh, a channel so that we are able to get the uh, vessels of sufficient capacity. As we stand at the moment, in some instances, the vessels would come heavy laden to the port and they must offload first at uh, the at Pier 1 and Pier 2 before they can actually go to Maidenwap um, because of the draft um, in that particular uh, uh, channel. So that's a, one of the common user infrastructure that in fact needs to be uh, broadened as well as uh, deepened so that we can take the bigger uh, vessels. And if we go to number 10, which is the uh, uh, dry dock, um, the dry dock chair is where we basically um, take care um, and repair and maintain um, the vessels that when they have come to the port of Devon and they require some uh, uh, tender care. It's a critical function to the extent that it's an, a value-add service um, that the ports give, which enables the ports to put a time that they would be in a port, a productive uh, uh, time, so that when it actually leaves, it doesn't have to stop elsewhere where it would actually be receiving that uh, particular uh, uh, tender care. And the last one, and I'm just going to be jumping to the, um, the Navy uh, uh, side, the Solstree, which is number, uh, number 12. So what we're hoping, which is on the entrance on the left-hand side, what we're hoping to do, uh, 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 Chair, or intending to do, is to relocate around number 15, which is where the current naval base is actually uh, uh, located. If we can uh, uh, show where number 15 is and uh, relocate a portion, a small portion of that capability to number 12. At number 12, there is currently a dry bulk uh, for manganese amongst others, and that is going to be relocated to Richards Bay. That's where the interconnectivity in terms of enabling what our plan is in this uh, particular plot. If we can move um, uh, to the next uh, uh, slide, please. And we, we come back, uh, Chair, just to emphasize at the entrance of the port on the right-hand side, these two, uh, 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 this particular precinct, and it's adjacent to the port residential uh, uh, development. 
Um, a is the cruise terminal that has just been uh, uh, constructed, and B is the point container terminal. And you can see the the shaded um, uh, the orange, the shaded orange. Uh, that's the existing uh, footprint, and the broadened one with the uh, uh, simulated vessels. Um, uh, the bigger one it would be the expansion that would enable us to take that particular capacity to 1.8. And C is where the uh, automotive um, a terminal is actually going to be located. Can we move to the next slide, please? Um, effectively, Chair, the, the, the development is aligned and it's in pursuit of a, a container segment a, a strategy. And really, the strategic intent from a country point of view, and of course, uh, uh, prioritizing uh, the uh, the hub, uh, the container hub in, in Devon, is to ensure that we improve the capability, infrastructure capability, so that we can improve operational efficiency and productivity at the port uh, level. Um, and to the extent that that should uh, enhance and improve commercial uh, uh, performance um, and engender a sense of maritime connectivity. And we're looking at what we would call a, a hub and spoke where the big vessels would actually come into that particular area and the smaller vessels would then pick up from Devon and would actually link up with the other ports um, in the uh, uh, country as well as uh, uh, Southern uh, Hemisphere as well. Um, and we need to in particular make sure that uh, the core infrastructure in this particular instance would be the capability of the beds insofar as the length of the beds as well as uh, the, uh, the depth of the approach channels as well as uh, uh, alongside the beds are in fact different to be able to uh, cater for the bigger vessels that are now in, uh, in motion. Um, next slide, please. The, the time frames, uh, uh, this slide is basically meant to indicate that all of these have been uh, time framed and you can see the cruise terminal um, that has already been uh, uh, completed. Um, of course, the critical a function first and foremost, which is stipulated in terms of the legislation, is the approval of the port master plan, which needs to be um, tabled in front of the uh, both the port consultative committee, which is a statutory body in terms of the act, as well as the national port um, consultative committee, which has the um, the duty of recommending um, to the minister or the department of uh, uh, transport, and those. Uh, those master plans would then be uh, gazetted as the approved and the regulated basis upon which development is actually going to uh, take place. And, and we are targeting that uh, we should be um, uh, finalizing uh, that particular process uh, by uh, uh, around uh, mid-August um, uh, for a quick consideration and subsequent uh, approval. This also includes check the redefining of uh, boundaries um, in so far as in the port of Devon, incorporation of a particular uh, area called Ambrose Park for the development of the truck staging uh, area, which is part of increasing operational efficiency and decongesting uh, uh, the port, but also incorporating the area in which we are going to be including the car terminal, which is uh, just outside the current uh, uh, port uh, uh, boundary. And of course, we've indicated that uh, the, uh, the request uh, for uh, uh, information had already uh, 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 gone out. That is in so in so far as a peer two is a uh, 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 concern. 
Um, we are also in the process of finalizing the regulatory approvals for the relocation of the head office of the port of Devon, because that's where the container terminal is in fact going to be developed. That also includes the, the relocation of the fruits terminal um, so that uh, we, that particular area is part of the automotive uh, terminal that's actually going to be developed. And you would see that, that it's a, a reflecting around um, between the second and the third quarter in, 20, um, in this a, a, a financial year. Um, so the point Chair, that we're actually making is that the, um, the activities, the main activities are underpinned by a particular rationale, uh, both in terms of uh, construction activity, so that uh, it's a, an optimized construction activity in terms of the pressure that we are currently facing uh, to uh, respond to the uh, market uh, uh, demand, but as well as the availability of equipment, because once you have established site for these types of developments, which are in the order of tens of billions of rents, um, it is not prudent to establish sites to a small portion um, uh, de-establish because it's going to cost you 300 leg to actually establish site again. So that is what we would call congregation of certain activities to optimize the cost per activity because the fixed cost would be carried by a much wider uh, a base of uh, a construction uh, activity. And the projections chair is that we would like to move this particular development um, relatively very fast. Um, and the projected timeframes is ideally we would want to do it within the next eight to 10 year uh, uh, projection and the capacity the strategic intended capacity is 11.4 million uh, uh, TEUs, which is a significant uh, uplift from where we're currently uh, sitting at, which is equivalent of a third of the current capacity. If we can move to the next slide, please. And we, we've already covered this particular one, and as part of the uh, decongestion, Part of uh, uh, the reimagining of the port of Devon is to uh, uh, enhance its linkages with the rest of that particular basin, what we would call the Etegwini Basin, and in particular, Cato Ridge, insofar as that particular area also presenting opportunities. This is along the entry between Devon and uh, uh, Peter Marispec, which is right up at the top of uh, uh, the ridge, which uh, acts at the moment. Um, as a track staging area and, and containers as well that are actually being, um, in some instances, stacked in there. Um, it's already uh, proving itself to be um, a logistics hub insofar as the number of companies that are in the just-in-time, just-in-case uh, production of uh, packaging of uh, uh, goods. So there's a lot of enhancement that that particular type of facility would uh, create in so far as decongesting the port of uh, Devon. I've already spoken about uh, Ambrose Park, uh, and Ambrose Park is the portion of land which is just adjacent to the Bayhead Road, which we would use for the truck staging area, but also to create um, a parallel road, which would be part of Bayhead, so that we're not stuck in one corridor if and when um, there's a problem with a particular uh, corridor. And this is what would also necessitate um, the approval of new boundaries to incorporate uh, Ambrose Park. Can we move to the next uh, slide, please? 
And and we've spoken chair about uh, the, the the master plan. Uh, the ports, because they are strategic assets, and uh, the uh, uh, TNPA itself is regulated in terms of the Act um, of uh, 2005, um, and the funding is in terms of the tariffs that uh, get approved by the port regulator of uh, uh, South Africa. The infrastructure within uh, uh, the, the ports is developed in terms of a regulated uh, uh, framework, which we have to ensure that it has got what we would call um, intermodal uh, logistics, considering the contribution of rail, the contribution of a uh, road, and to the extent that all the ports are located within a particular city, and the extent to which the synergies in the development of the port and those synergies uh, flow into the city and uh, uh, vice versa. And of course, because these are significant um, employment uh, opportunities or economic uh, activities, that they actually respond to the human capital uh, development needs of the ecosystem in which they actually uh, uh, exist. And all these particular uh, uh, connectivities uh, find expression in these uh, port consultative uh, committees in which uh, forums, the various stakeholders, the port holder, uh, uh, port users, um, interested and affected parties um, have actually a voice. And uh, TNPA is in fact obliged to take those particular concerns on board um, and be able to factor those in the planning of uh, uh, infrastructure. So if we could uh, move to the next uh, slide, please. And, and in that particular uh, uh, development uh, uh, chair, the strategic approach that has actually been adopted is to ensure that in the process, the private sector players are brought in in a manner and pace um, that they are able to mitigate against those areas um, which um, the public sector might not necessarily have the best strength to be able to operate in those uh, uh, particular areas. And so we are in a big drive to actually activate um, the um, private uh, sector interest in taking these particular opportunities. And we're doing that by the provision of the basic economic infrastructure or what we would consider to be common user infrastructure so that we ensure at any time uh, common user access to any party that in fact wants to use uh, that particular infrastructure. And uh, this particular picture chair is the picture of uh, uh, Richards Bay. Um, and we indicated that we would be relocating the dry park, uh, which ac actually comes uh, from uh, the uh, eastern side of the uh, port entrance um, to the extent that we're also going to be relocating um, the naval base. Um, and the naval base chair is going to be relocated to Naval Island. And I don't know if the CASA could move to Naval Island as well as the Pelican, uh, Pelican uh, uh, Island, those two islands. That's where we're going to be accommodating uh, uh, the naval base. And later on, the slide would uh, uh, depict some of the uh, uh, development we're also going to be, to the extent that we're also going to be impacting on Island View, which is on the left-hand side in the port of Devon, and some of those particular elements would actually be relocating to this particular port, which, is, which would be uh, just uh, next to the coal terminal. And if we can go to the next slide, we should be uh, showing. And for the uh, port of Richards Bay, uh, uh, we also have got a particular project we went out on an RFP about uh, three, uh, three months or so um, for a gas, for an LNG, LNG uh, uh, project, which would be in number 10. If you can just take the CASA in number 10, which is in the center 
um, just in the center of the, uh, yeah, um, that's where the LNG uh, station is going to be. It's just next to where the coal terminal um, is, in fact, uh, uh, located. Um, and in that particular cluster chair, you'd see if we just go just a little bit uh, south, 9B, which is um, where the liquid bulk uh, precinct um, uh, in particular is, uh, uh, is going to be. So this is the area chair in which from a gas a complex uh, a point of view, we would be uh, looking at concentrating in that area. And we would uh, recall that uh, both uh, the, the port of Richards Bay, um, as well as the port of Moha and the port of uh, Saldana are the three projects or the three ports that are earmarked for floating solutions, uh, temporal solutions, which would be gas-fired um, uh, powered uh, generation. And, and Richards Bay is earmarked as a major uh, hub um, with the uh, already existing uh, demand from industry for the gas as a product and the already existing connectivity in terms of the pipe that are connecting uh, Richards Bay to the rest of the uh, economy. Um, if we can uh, move to the next slide. And again, uh, 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 Chair, this is the construction uh, activity for, uh, for the port of uh, uh, Richards Bay. Um, and in any development, uh, Chair, as you would know, um, if you are going to be doing a residential area, um, we don't just move in and do houses. We first must do the roads that are, le are leading to that residential area so that you can actually access that particular site. And you make absolutely sure that the bulk services, so it will just be both connectivity in terms of a, a utility. So the road would, the roads would need to be um, enhanced. The rail capacity would need to be um, increased as well. Um, to complement the strategy of moving from road to rail. If we currently think about the port of uh, uh, Deben at the moment, um, uh, uh, having the capacity that we talk about, which is a third of 11.4 million. If you have 11.4 million TEUs and you are still dependent on the current trajectory of road utilization in the orders of magnitude that are currently in place, you basically will collapse the city. So the, the concept of moving cargo from roads to rail is a strategic necessity. And to the extent that it would pose what I would consider to be an existential crisis for the port from an effectiveness and efficiency point of view, because you would effectively have a complete gridlock. The same is already confronting us in Richards Bay. If you go to the port of Richards Bay, you will see the trucks that uh, pack on the road as they are actually coming um, to drop uh, uh, the bulk uh, material over there. And it's quite evident that the port itself and the development of the city and the planning that integrated planning that ought to have taken place um, did not happen to the extent that it actually could have. And this is, is an opportunity for us to actually go into an integrated uh, port, um, an integrated city development with the complete intermodal logistics uh, uh, planning that is able to project the demands and be able to accommodate how those would actually be taken uh, uh, care of. I think the significant uh, issue chair for me uh, around uh, uh, Richards Bay would be the three areas that we will consolidate around the bulk area, because we're going to be relocating bulk on uh, Deben to accommodate the Navy um, and move uh, that uh, bulk to uh, the port of Richards Bay. We're going to be consolidating around the South African and Naval base, um, including the support residential area. 
which is projected would require up to a thousand um, residential uh, households to accommodate uh, the naval uh, uh, base support over there. Um, we're also consolidating around the liquid bulk um, uh, infrastructure, including a gas-fired uh, power station in there. And the beds would then need, in around the south dunes, would need to be uh, adjusted and fitted for that uh, uh, particular uh, purpose. And the last one that is also being planned is to actually uh, get a, a private sector interest for the development and the, and the uh, operation of a dry dock to the extent that uh, that uh, port as well would have the requisite capacity um, to sustain a dry dock. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. So to just uh, uh, conclude, uh, 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 Chair, um, we, we have had to uh, make sure that we are not just obsessed with our own image um, and we seek uh, what we call independent expert uh, validation of the work that has actually been undertaken. And, and that work um, has been done by a range of uh, professional uh, uh, companies um, in partnership with the uh, uh, World Bank. And that work is uh, projected to see its end at, at the end of July. We get periodic reports and we do reality check on, on some of the work uh, that we've already uh, uh, done. And uh, we have had to improve um, and iterate uh, some of the ideas that we actually had on the basis of that particular feedback. So it's been a very constructive um, and a very useful engagement chat that has enabled us um, if you like to optimize on the output um, and also reduce on the projected uh, cost side um, based on the ideas that have come out of those particular exercises. We also have to go through um, a detailed uh, consultation uh, process. Um, earlier on, there was a thought that around the island view corridor, there might be a need to dig out uh, the island view. It's now become apparent that we can, in fact, minimize uh, digging of the uh, uh, island view. Um, and that's also a product of the extensive consultations that have actually uh, uh, taken place. So we will be going back again to the stakeholders and ultimately that process would uh, find ultimate conclusion in the National Port Consultative uh, Committee and after which it would then submit to the Minister of uh, uh, Transport. Um, there are at the moment uh, current uh, concerns uh, around uh, Maidenworth. Maidenworth, that's where the bulk of the agricultural products are actually uh, coming through and a, vari a variety of other uh, products that come through, whether it's fertilizer or sugar or maize, um, they actually come through Maidenwaf. Um, and we've got a whole range of uh, uh, concerns. And that particular area, as you might be aware, does not enjoy, um, a, if you like, a protection or security separation from the rest of the city. Whilst that might uh, promote integration but it's got its own uh, serious limitations to the extent that when you actually need to secure it, um, you don't know where to start and where to finish because it's currently not configured for us to be able to secure it. And secondly, the state of the roads, the coastal road just behind um, a Maiden Wharf, not only is it um, a full of trucks that are parked on the road um, at any point in time, sometimes up to 300 uh, uh, trucks, and occasionally when there's a disagreement between the trucks um, either and the clients or the owners of the trucks. Um, then we've got um, uh, trucks that are basically uh, used to lock down uh, uh, as a, a registration of their protest. 
So there's a major reconsideration that needs to take place around uh, the, uh, the the logistics um, within the port and made in what um, being the point area that we're going to be doing that. Next slide, please. If we might uh, then move a uh, uh, chair to the, uh, uh, the escape uh, cluster. So from a focus point of view, we have uh, subdivided uh, the port system and we've got uh, eight ports. We've divided the, uh, the commercial ports, eight ports, but in fact, there's the ninth port, which is uh, managed and operated by DBS. Um, of the ports, uh, eight ports that we are looking after as the Transnet National Port Authority, we've clustered them into three areas. The eastern uh, ports, which is Richards Bay and uh, the port of uh, Devon. And then we've got uh, the port of East London, uh, uh, the port in uh, the two ports in Gabeja, um, as well as uh, the ports um, in the Western Cape, Mosel Bay, um, the port of Cape Town and the port of uh, uh, Saldana. And, and we've got a variety of projects uh, in the uh, port of uh, in the port in Gabeja. And I'm just going to quickly run through the first port, uh, the first project, which is a significant project is that of a manganese um, a terminal, a storage terminal that is actually being uh, uh, developed in the port of Moha. Uh, uh, and the idea here is to increase the capability of this particular channel to 16 million uh, tons. The idea ultimately um, would be to consolidate ports into specialized cargo so that we know if we're talking about fruit um, and uh, citrus, uh, type of products, Cape Town would be our main uh, 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 port that would be looking at it. Doesn't mean that nothing will be going to other ports, but we would know that that's our best foot forward. And if we're talking about export of iron ore, Saldana being our best foot forward. And insofar as manganese is concerned, um, the proposition would be uh, both the port of Moha and uh, the port that is being looked at in the West Coast, which we'll currently use the term the port of uh, Bukubai as the two ports that would be dominating in the manganese uh, field. So we have to do a storage uh, facility, um, and the projections is that uh, that particular port in the next, uh, uh, rather terminal in the next uh, uh, five years should be in operation. We currently have got a lot of work. It had gone out on an RFI. It's just about to go, go out on an uh, RFP so that it can be adjudicated and a, a, a build a, a contract would be uh, awarded. It's significant share in the order that we're talking about uh, billions of rents, uh, certainly above seven or eight uh, billion rents. Um, and the second project that we're actually uh, looking at is the port of uh, Muha. Um, it's the latest container terminal, which is completely underutilized. Currently we're sitting with a capacity of about 2.1 million TEUs currently utilized on a, a, an exceptionally good year, um, 800,000, 900,000 TEUs. So sitting at less than what I would call 40% capacity uh, from a utilization uh, a point of view. This is one of those projects that is in the process of attracting a PSP interest um, and a party that would be able to bring volumes so that uh, we can generate the commercial returns uh, that this port is actually uh, capable of. Um, and Ford has taken a decision that uh, their uh, vehicles would in fact be exported through the Gabeja um, uh, channel, which requires increasing of the rail capacity to be able to accommodate moving uh, uh, manganese from road to rail, which is increasingly sitting on the road at the moment, 
but as well as accommodating the vehicles that would actually be coming up, which requires an additional investment from a rail point of view, Chair, in the order, give or take um, 1.7, 1.8 billion rands. And this particular project necessitates that we concentrate the existing port in Gabeja, in particular what is uh, legislated as the port of Port Elizabeth, uh, focus it on being an automotive uh, hub, but as well as uh, being a hospitality uh, port. And that requires that we relocate the liquid bulk tanks that are currently existing there, as well as the manganese uh, terminal. So there's a major reconfiguration of that particular port that would enable a waterfront type of a development, concentration of an auto uh, 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 terminal as well, and relocate the manganese that's going through that particular channel, relocate it to the port of Mukha. Uh, if we can move on to the um, thing. And insofar as East London is concerned, we've got a few uh, uh, projects that we have to uh, uh, drive chair. And one of those uh, particular projects is to focus on the uh, silos that are there. Historically, the port of, of East London was an agricultural uh, uh, port over and above being what I would call a ship uh, a repair, the smaller uh, vessels ship repair, as well as a, 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 um, an auto a, a terminal um, servicing a, a Mercedes-Benz. Um, so there's a great focus in ensuring that that particular port, we create a much deeper channel um, to enable bigger vessels to actually uh, uh, come in, um, ensure that we reinvest in the capability to handle the agricultural uh, uh, products and uh, get those uh, silos back commissioned for uh, uh, trading in uh, uh, maize. It's already a port that is, in fact, exporting uh, uh, animals as well. So there is um, an economic activity. But over and above that, uh, it's also got the capability to be able to export any of the bulk material that might be surplus in other uh, ports. The railway line that links um, East London has got a lot of slots that are currently underutilized and therefore would be an efficient throughput uh, uh, channel for any surplus material that otherwise would have been exported through another uh, 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 port. Um, next one. And uh, we've already spoken about this particular slide and you'll see the uh, slightly yellow, yeah, close to there. That's where the manganese uh, storage facility is, uh, Chair. And we would obviously have to connect with the port itself, the port of Mukha, using a conveyor belt. And uh, the next slide, hopefully, Chair, would actually be indicating the types of projects um, that can we move to the next slide, that in the port of Mocha. And one of the uh, projects in the port of Mocha chair, that uh, are very attractive um, would be the gas infrastructure that needs to be put in place. You'd recall that earlier on, I mentioned that it's one of the three ports in which uh, the gas projects, both the temporal solution um, of a, a, a floating storage regasification units that would need to be located in there. And then uh, uh, obviously ultimately moved to um, uh, being plugged to the substations that would be in the area. On your left-hand side is the container terminal that I was actually talking about and the theoretical capacity that we actually talked about, um, uh, which is uh, 2 million, and you can see the extent to which it is uh, currently underutilized, hence that PSP that we were speaking about, uh, Chen. And the middle in the central uh, precinct, um, that would be um, the C-series, that's where manganese is exported, those uh, simulated two vessels over there. And then on the other side of that finger um, uh, would in fact be looking, no, no, on the left-hand side, in the same, on the finger. Yeah, no, no, the finger, the middle, in the middle. 
that, yeah, that one. But uh, the right-hand side, in the, that's where the uh, liquid uh, uh, products would actually be uh, located, as well as on the eastern side, um, including the gas uh, 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 projects. Next slide. Next slide, please. And this would be just indicating, uh, Chad, the, where the particular projects are actually located. If you start on the right-hand side, Chad, that would be, um, you see that there's a vessel which uh, says has got an LNG terminal. So that would be the stationary vessel for the temporal solution, which would be a floating storage uh, uh, solution. Um, and a mobile uh, solution would come, a tanker would actually come, and that uh, tanker would actually be bringing in uh, the, uh, the product. It would go into that particular uh, standing vessel. It would be converted and it would be taken uh, by a particular pipeline and it would be transferred to the next vessel, which has got an arrow which says a liquid bulk bed. And uh, initially that uh, 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 floating uh, product would be a power ship um, and it would uh, generate a, a power, and then it would have a cables that are running to a substation, um, which are located in the particular area. And you see the tanks on the right-hand side, uh, and those are tanks uh, that one for the storage of the uh, liquid, um, so that it's a balancing tank. You're not dependent on the storage, which would be in the vessel, uh, because the demand and supply might be uh, uh, fluctuating. So you need the balance, uh, the balancing tank, so that you are able to cope with uh, peak periods, but also store when you have got supply and the demand is low. And as you move towards your left hand side, you'll see where the tank farm is. Um, that's where the connectivity between these two uh, ports in the Kabeha precinct, because we will be relocating the liquid bulk uh, tanks that have been in the port of Port Elizabeth for the past 60, 70 years, and those will be relocated to that uh, a particular precinct. And if you move towards the left-hand side, uh, you'll see an arrow which uh, indicates where the conveyor belt is. And that conveyor belt would be the one that would be taking the product from the manganese storage, which is behind there uh, at the far back. And it would be taking it to the C-series back, which is the finger jetty um, and inside the port uh, prison. Next slide, please. I'm not going to spend too much time, Chet, because I've, I've already spoken to this particular slide. This is the port of uh, 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 Port Elizabeth, as it is currently uh, uh, legislated in Gabeja. And you'll see on the right-hand side, extreme right-hand side, that's where the liquid bulk uh, uh, terminal. We have given an indication, Chair, of the time frames. Um, so this project, uh, we have uh, started uh, uh, expediting the particular project and chasing that by 2025. It should be operational at the port of uh, Nuka. And then you also see where the bulk or terminal, which is also going to be relocated to that uh, storage area that we spoke about in the uh, port of uh, Nanka as well, which would then enable a waterfront development in that particular uh, uh, portion. And you see the multi-purpose uh, uh, terminal, which is in the middle. And these also reflect the extent to which um, there's, in some instances, underutilization of capacity. And by repurposing these ports and focusing them on a particular product, we can then develop what we consider to be centers of excellence from an operational point of view in a particular product and be able to benchmark them with the uh, comparable uh, ports in the, uh, in the world. And the last one on the left-hand side is where we currently have 
um, the PE uh, uh, container uh, uh, terminal. Um, and this is where we're going to be focusing on the automotive uh, uh, terminal uh, chair to accommodate both uh, VW as well as Ford. And uh, hopefully there'll be other products as well, uh, like bike, bike uh, that is in, uh, in town um, and FAW as well. Um, uh, to focus on maximum utilization of this particular precinct. Next slide, please. We've covered uh, uh, this uh, chair, the, the, the strategic intent in all of these particular um, uh, investments are, are the same. So if you can move to the next slide. We've already spoken about this particular project uh, chair, which is the Nohamanese. Uh, expansion uh, uh, project, and it gives you a sense of what would be happening. That includes uh, putting the appropriate equipment uh, um, so that you can uh, load onto the vessels relatively very quickly so that we reduce the turnaround time. Uh, one of the key performance indicators from a, point, uh, 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 from a port point of view is what is called a ship turnaround time, which is the time that it actually takes from the time that the vessel crosses the breakwater coming inside um, to being tied at birth, being worked on by the uh, appropriate uh, terminal operator, um, the ropes being uh, loosened, and uh, the tags being available to actually take that vessel out. Um, and at the moment, we are lagging behind um, the international best practice by a significant amount. So part of that, to the extent that it's possible, it's also putting the appropriate equipment and automating where we actually can so that uh, we can increase the operational efficiency and effectiveness uh, throughout the port system. Next slide, please. And these would be the time frames, maybe on the right hand side, just to, uh, 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 to indicate that uh, the RFP um, uh, for this particular uh, uh, project, um, we are supposed to be going out within the next uh, two weeks on the RFP. The RFI had already been uh, uh, concluded, uh, Chair, and we're projecting that the construction uh, start date would be around between March and uh, around uh, June in the next financial year, and that uh, the operations would actually take place in 2027. What is would happen because of the machine-intensive nature of these types of operation, the commissioning is likely to take anything up to nine months. So you would be looking at commissioning starting around September of uh, 2026, so that by March 2027, um, the equipment is proven to be fit for purpose and is capable of delivering um, to the design standards that uh, would have been proposed. Um, next slide, please. The Mocha Rail Capacity Chair, we've already spoken about uh, uh, that, and you can see the timeframe on the uh, uh, bottom right. Project teams have already been uh, uh, set up. There's currently work that is underway um, to uh, uh, package uh, the project for financing, uh, uh, if you like, opportunities, um, because the nature of the finance that is, uh, that is required is such that we wouldn't always be able to take all of these into uh, the balance sheet. Um, and uh, construction projected to start around March 2023, and again, being able to accommodate, um, and because it must uh, align with the uh, functionality of the manganese storage uh, facility, and would recall, Chair, that uh, the Ford um, export uh, contract is actually chasing the financial year 24-25. So by then, we must be able to accommodate both the autos that would be on the uh, rail capacity, but as well as the manganese um, that would uh, need to be able to utilize the capacity 
of the storage facility, which would be a significant increase from the current loads of give or take around uh, 9 million uh, tons that are coming through the, uh, the Tabeka channel. Next slide, please. We've spoken, Chair, already about uh, the gas uh, uh, import facility, and I'm not going to uh, spend much time. You can see the vessel on the right-hand uh, uh, side. And uh, please, uh, uh, we apologize for the names. Um, we should have uh, removed them. It's a, a simulation of the solution where the tankers would actually come and uh, the floating storage the gasification unit would offload to a vessel. And you can see a small line below that uh, arrow. That is the pipeline that actually goes to the power ship. It goes alongside um, the, uh, the breakwater and it actually turns back to the power ship. You then uh, uh, generate uh, power from power ship as a temporal solution. And then there would be lines that are going to the, uh, to the substations that are located in adjacent. That would be for the temporal uh, solution. And of course, once you have done uh, the full solution, you would have to have a permanent station, a terminal, a gas terminal, which would then have the balancing tanks outside and then, of course, links then uh, to the substation and ultimately to the grid. Um, next slide, please. Again, the timeframes for this particular uh, uh, project in the Richards Bay uh, 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 chair, um, you recall that uh, we mentioned that we'd actually gone out and that uh, particular bid was closed in April. Um, we are still uh, on stream to be going out on the RFP um, on the, uh, in July. Uh, this particular uh, uh, year, um, we, we, we're running a little bit ahead of uh, what we thought might be a late uh, uh, start. And uh, the target being by 2023, 2024, uh, that particular terminal should actually be uh, open. In the precinct of Kuka, uh, we've got a joint development agreement, um, or often we've got a joint development agreement between um, the National Port Authority or Transnet, um, Central uh, uh, Energy uh, uh, Fund, um, which is developing a particular project for the gas-fired uh, power station, which was part of the uh, IPP project um, that was approved uh, by, uh, by national government. Next slide, please. Um, thank you very much, Chair. That's the end of my uh, presentation. Uh, good. Morning, uh, Chairperson and Honourable Members. Uh, my name is Andrew Shaw. I'm responsible for, for strategy and planning at Transit uh, Group level. I wanted to just share with you just two slides, which is the planning and segment positioning, particularly in respect of, of rail and fulfilling the requirements of economic growth uh, through rail as a logistics solution. So let me spend a little bit of time talking to our current strategy and then also focus on our on, on our intent to to try and uh, encourage government to expand directly in rail and assist us in providing some strategic rail infrastructure going forward. We have nine uh, segments, um, four of which are in the mining area. These are commercially viable, viable businesses. The impact on GDP is around 5.4%, around 147,000 jobs. Obviously, there is, in most instances, not beneficiation. Most of this product is exported. Um, our investment approach at this, at this point in time is to increase um, from just over 100 million tons by another 50 to 60 million tons in, in mining explicitly. We see the opportunity to thus grow uh, TFR's revenue quite considerably, but we would have to do that in partnership with 
um, with the private sector, probably with the mining companies to expand that capacity, largely because our balance sheet is just not able to bear the significant costs. So we have project plans in place in chrome uh, and ferrochrome, um, in, in manganese, um, as well as in, in iron ore. In the case of coal, we do see some growth, but that growth is really dependent on our existing network. The real opportunity for us is in the middle two areas, which is containers and automotive and agriculture. The focus here is um, to drive up market share to support manufactured growth. And you can see that the real impact um, is approximately 18.9% on GDP. So considerably more than in the mining sector um, in the case of containers and automotive. And if you then add agriculture, um, which has about another 12.5% GDP um, in terms of uh, its contribution to national GDP and the considerable logistics requirement, you'll see that we have in those two segments a huge impact on our ability to be competitive, grow jobs, um, and, and assist growth in those two segments. Our investment approach in both areas is uh, to work in respect of partnerships on the, on the rail system and capture rail market share where we can, but to also, uh, in alignment with the NDOT's policy pronouncements recently, to allow um, private sector operators on the slots that we don't use in three key corridors, Gauteng to Kubertha, uh, Gauteng to East London, and principally Gauteng to, to Durban, where the greatest opportunities lie. In respect of agriculture, um, the challenge there is that in many instances, agriculture is quite widely dispersed um, in, in the rural provinces, and there's branch lines that are not effectively used. So uh, we wish to drive the branch line concessioning process uh, still, hard, uh, still harder in order to uh, make rail more competitive and also to allow for private operators on slots that we don't use. I won't talk to fuel and, and, and gas. I think um, actually Pepe has spent quite a, a lot of time quite neatly placing the challenge of repositioning from fuel to a gas-based energy economy in respect of, of the, the principal investments in the ports. So let me go to the, the final slide, which really just uh, summarizes some of our core, core uh, requirements. Because of our financial positioning and our need to reposition TFR uh, sustainably is that we see a, a, a requirement to tier the network. So we would have an A-grade network, which focuses on bulk freight, B-grade, network, which is for mixed freight um, and serves most of the cities, and then a C-grade network, which is largely the lower order part of the network and the concessioning of, of branch lines. <clears throat> we would also, again, in alignment with the with National Department of Transport Policy, introduce new train operators with the focus to capture market share, particularly in agriculture and manufacturing. Um, and we would drive a series of partnerships to expand capacity in key segments and grow volume. Um, the partnership arrangements that we principally would like to enter in are with industry partners, with financial institutions that can help us to invest, and in some instances with logistics operators who would be able to bring us a share of the traffic that they currently move by road. Uh, what is key, though, to note is the last point, which is um, allowed for with respect to the new government policy around rail, but is to seek additional grant funding from government for rail infrastructure expansion and modernization. And we, we benchmark ourselves to the quite considerable government um, um, funding for road infrastructure, which competes directly against us, for, particularly for mixed traffic. 
And when we benchmark this against other countries, what we see is most other countries have invested um, in rail infrastructure, maybe not necessarily in rail operations directly, but certainly in rail infrastructure. Let me leave it uh, there, Chair, and hand back to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Chair. Uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Chair. Um, I, we, uh, as Transnet, uh, would be done at this point. I know the DG, the action DG is on the call, so she can uh, close. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Poshia and your team uh, for this presentation. <clears throat> I am now going to put it to the members uh, to engage with it by way of uh, raising uh, questions and clarity-seeking questions as well as the comments uh, on the presentation. Thank you for that elaborate presentation. Members, can you now kindly indicate by way of raising hands and then we take it from there. I see the, the hand uh, of Mama Lindwe Bibi. I see the hand of the Honorable uh, Nana. I see the land, uh, hand of the Honorable Arnold. I see the hand of the Honorable Winning Wenya and the hand of the Honorable Modise. And uh, I think there's one more hand of Honorable Malehu. In that order, Honorable Members, uh, we start with you, Honorable Bibi. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Honorable Chairperson Baba, for the opportunity. Greetings to you and also to the officials and also to my colleagues. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Um, and also thank you from the uh, department for the uh, presentations of all presentations of which we do welcome them. Uh, Chairperson, I've got two questions. And the first one will be um, uh, looking at the global uh, economic outlook, um, especially the impact uh, of the COVID-19 on commodities. Now, uh, do you think uh, it's worthwhile to invest import infrastructure right now with no immediate um, returns on investments. And the second question, Chairperson, will be, uh, what is your gearing ratio? Uh, so that as members uh, of this committee, we can have an idea of how much you can still borrow uh, from the market and how strong uh, is your balance sheet. Those are the two questions, Chairperson. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm done, Chair. I'm done, Chairperson.
Honorable Arnold. Uh, you are rushing somewhere. Uh, if uh, Honorable uh, Arnold uh, is happy with that, uh, please go ahead because he is not responding anyway. Go ahead, I'm Honorable Arnold. I'm, uh, no. I'm happy. No, 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 I thought I was after my baby. I'm third, yeah, so sure, sure. You can go ahead, uh, um, Honorable Member. Age, age before beauty, Honorable Arnold. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, thanks very much, Chairman. And uh, really, I would want to, to, it's something that I don't, it's something that I don't do quite often to, to welcome a, a report or to, to welcome a presentation, but give credit where it's due when it is so concise. Uh, clear to the point, <clears throat> it really it really talks to to the leadership uh, in in that in that in that organization. Uh, I've been some members will know we've been around listening to quite a few presentations, but you hardly get a a presentation which which is full of of sense. And, and and thank you very much, uh, Mrs. Portia and your and, and, and your team at, at, at Transnet. I I probably have two questions, but but before that, I would want to to make a, a, a few observations. And the first observation relates to the announcement you've made with regards to to the port of East London. Uh, uh, I am pleased uh, that despite not so much work planned for the immediate future, uh, at least part of East London is in your is well within your 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 radar. You you've got plans for 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 that port, which which I quite frankly think it it has got. Uh, enormous potential, and it it can provide much needed uh, economic activity in support of of Mercedes Benz uh, to to make that port a lot more busier and 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 and, and active. So I I truly accept that. I I, I mean I welcome that. Uh, the second, the second comment that I would want to make, Chairman, is with regards to Port St. John's. Two years ago, if it if it wasn't last year, uh, I did raise a a question about about Port St. John's, which again thinks, which again I think has got enormous potential and it can it can actually bring hope to a rather hopeless situation in potentials. That is my constituency. The situation is is not so good and something has got to be done. Uh, so in this regard I would I would really want to 
to improve transnet, to really consider uh, doing something in Port St. John's, which is not too far from, from Devon, which is not too far from, from East London. I may not, I may not be, 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 be exact as to the distance in terms of nautical miles, but with the naked eye, it doesn't seem too, too far. And I'm sure with, with all the clever minds in Transnet, uh, something can be done with, with both angels. You will recall uh, commitments were made and as, as a constituency leader uh, in, in that area, I am constantly asked by communities whether they have been forgotten or, or what's, what's, what, what's the progress with regards to, to the promised hub, uh, port that was to be built in So I would, I would really like to get a comment from, from Transnet. Now, coming to, to, my, to my questions, Chairman, uh, it's, it's been reported in the media that uh, the recent floods in KZN and parts of the Eastern Cape uh, have actually caused mayhem at the port of Devon. Now, I want, I want to, to check with, with Transnet as to the extent uh, of the chaos that has been caused. Uh, allegations were made uh, that these days the port is is not functioning optimally. Uh, I, I would really want to check to what extent has has the floods negatively impacted uh, the infrastructure of the port. To what extent has the floods negatively impacted uh, the expansion plans? And, and, and lastly, to what extent has this uh, negatively impacted uh, business, business confidence in, in the port of Devon? And, and the last question, Chairman, is uh, a while ago, there were environmental groupings uh, that were actually opposed to, to the expansion plans, uh, citing the negative impact uh, that, that the expansion will have in, in the environment. In the part of Devon, uh, there is some species, I just forget species, there is some species uh, that found permanent residence in the port of Devon and the expansion really threatened the existence of, of that species. To what extent has Transnet been engaging with these groupings uh, and, and have you guys found one another so far as protecting the, I mean, the species in the port of Devon?
thank you, Honorable Nana. I would like now to invite uh, Honorable Arnold. Honorable thank Arnold. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, let me also welcome the presentation from uh, Transnet. Um, yes, Chairperson, the country's port, uh, ports and terminals are key engines for, for economic growth. And uh, as a committee, we all agree that uh, Transnet must get their house in order and they must work hard to ensure that the development happened very fast. Uh, because they are responsible for safe, efficient, effective, and economically efficient functioning of our national port uh, system. There is a need, Chairperson, uh, for massive structural changes because uh, it reflects negative on the country uh, that we have four of the worst ports uh, in the world in terms of operational uh, efficiency. Uh, my first question, uh, Chairperson, is can we get comment from um, and details from uh, Transnet in terms of the special purpose vehicle and how this will improve and resolve operational challenges? Uh, the second question, uh, Chairperson, is in terms of the separation roles between Transnet National Ports Authority uh, which is uh, responsible for infrastructure, uh, ownership, and then uh, Transnet Ports Terminals, which is responsible for uh, the terminal op operations. Uh, uh, do we have now clear roles uh, in terms of these two um, entities? Because that was also one of the challenges, and I think uh, if there is now clear roles, uh, can we get more details in terms of uh, of that now? Uh, Honorable Nana has covered me on the, the question in terms of the Durban uh, terminals that was uh, disrupted, uh, disrupted due to uh, the bad weather conditions. Uh, so I won't go into, into that one. Uh, yes, Chairperson, I think that is all for now. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Arnold. Uh, I now invite the Honorable Nguanya, Mama. <laughs> Thanks, Baba. Uh, good morning, uh, Honorable Members. And uh, Chair, I'll, I'll, I'll let me take this opportunity and welcome the presentation from the Transnet. Having listened to the presentation, I have the following questions, Chairperson. I wanted to check whether Transnet has managed to develop rail capacity to accommodate the shift of volume from road to rail to decogence the road transport network to port of Jira. If yes, can we get the details answer? And if no, why not? Uh, I want to check again, uh, what is the update regarding the petition to plan to improve export capacity of fully built automotive units, such as additionally parking facilities and both the port of East London 
and at the port of Port Elizabeth. But, uh, the third question, Chair. I wanted to check that uh, who are the stakeholders of, 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 of you and uh, uh, intend to engage through the year of 2022 in KZN port. Can you mention those stakeholders, please? And I want, uh, what is the current update with regard to the board of Transnet National Port Authority? Has the board been appointed? And if yes, who is the chairperson and the board member? If not, when will the board be appointed? On front rail chair, I wanted to check that the maintenance of the rail rank is a competence of Transnet. What is the current state of the rail track that has used good trains, train trains and passengers trains? Last but not least, Honorable Chairperson, I wanted to check with the Transnet, the effort they are making to respond to priority number seven of government with respect to achieve, oh my God. Sorry, Chair. Sorry, Chair. Um, Chair, I, I, I wanted to check with the Transnet, the effort they have making to respond to priority number seven of government, which respect to achieve a better African and the world. I have learned that uh, Africa countries are growing sustainably in terms of the competitiveness. I like the parts of the motorists, Tanzania and uh, Mubasa. The West African countries like Nigeria and Ghana are growing and investing and performing better than South Africa. than South Africa ports. The question chair is, why are our ports still performing less than the countries I have mentioned? Chairperson, I, I, as, I, as I, uh, I asked this question in terms of my last question, I think it will be proper chair for this committee also to go to these countries that uh, have done better, seeing that we can learn from them, how have they conquered the challenge that we are facing in South Africa? I thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Wenya. Um, I now wish to invite um, 
the Honorable Motisa. Honorable Motisa, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. And let me greet the Honorable Members and the officials from Transnet and from the Department. Honorable Chair, I have only two questions. Um, I just want to check uh, with uh, Transnet. Transnet. What is the run out uh, run around time at a Devonport? And how does it measure up uh, against the international benchmarking benchmarks? My second question need to be, you know, uh, for so many occasions, the president has indicated that state-owned uh, company will need to work in public partnership with uh, uh, for infrastructure programs. I just want to find out if any way in a capacity okay, uh, expansion project, uh, there are private sector that are uh, the role players who have shown a willingness to partner with, uh, uh, with you. Those are my two questions, uh, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Modise. We also had the hand of the Honorable Malehu, but I see that uh, uh, the Honorable One is no longer in the platform. Uh, so maybe when uh, the Honorable One comes back, we'll give um, the Honorable an opportunity. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think most of the questions have been put forward by the Honorable Members, but my interest would just, just to add one more thing to get a sense of uh, transformation as it manifests in the sector, particularly as it relates to the country ports. For a long period of time, there's been a suggestion that uh, this uh, sector is dominated by particular companies. I just want to get a sense of uh, how the majority of the country are beginning uh, to have a meaningful role in the space uh, because of the historical issues. So we want to understand if we are making progress in so far as transforming and ensuring that uh, a great number of our people from historical disadvantaged communities are playing part there. You will find that there are Black-owned companies that are in the mining sector and they are complaining about not having access to terminals, things like that. So can you please just juxtapose these developments of the expansion to that issue of um, uh, access uh, to terminals by these companies so that they are able to access markets because without access to the terminal, there's no access to the market as it were. So I would like to get uh, from the CEO of Transnet as well as uh, the Post Authority as to are we really making a, 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 a turnaround in so far as ensuring that our people are beginning to find an expression by way of a meaningful participation in that space. Uh, you, can, you can take it further uh, because you are in the cold face of what is happening right there so that you give us a, a total picture of what is obtaining. 
those will be our questions. I now, Susposhia Debbie, give you an opportunity to deal with these questions and the comments together with your team. Uh, over to you. Uh, thank you, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members for the for the questions. Um, I'll ask uh, that we've got uh, quite the Translate Expo on the call, so uh, different uh, people will answer. But I've also just reached out to the CFO. Uh, she will answer the, the question around uh, gearing. But let me let me foreground uh, before she she comes in the question that uh, the Honourable BB asks. Um, it, it indeed uh, there is uh, if you read any any uh, forecast of uh, GDP for the next year or two, it doesn't help that we're coming out of COVID. You then have China having uh, its lockdowns in Shanghai, uh, which have a, have had and not only Shanghai, but which have had a serious um, impact on manufacturing. And then number and as you know, that China is genuinely the factory of the world. And it being the factory of the world is beyond the fact that we all get a lot of finished goods from China. It's the fact that they supply a lot of intermediate goods that go towards finished goods made in the other countries. So it really has an effect of dampening um, production around, uh, around the world. And then, uh, thirdly, the Ukraine uh, war, the war in Ukraine and Russia also is having a serious impact on just outlook and general negativity. Having said all of that, all of these uh, uh, terrible situations create an amazing opportunity for South Africa, though. And one, suddenly everybody understands that uh, wheat and the supply of sunflower seeds and all of those uh, things is really concentrated in the world, right? So the issue of finding alternative locations for the planting of sunflowers and the rest like in wheat, and also for the supply of these commodities. If you consider last year, you may have been watching, um, there was such a shortage of chips that the auto sector was directly impacted that the vehicles were just not moving. Has meant that the supply chains are moving increasingly towards just in case. And places that have installed manufacturing bases are the most likely to win in that manufacturing war. Why we as South Africa have to win in that manufacturing war is because of the multipliers that manufacturing have much deeper than virtually any sector mining on the one hand and even agriculture. Because manufacturing pulls so many products and into both of these uh, supply chains quite significantly. One, number two, it actually is job intensive. Uh, the manufacturing uh, sector. So, so there's that issue. What we know for a fact is that if we do not have efficient logistics, rightfully road, rail, and ports, we will not be able to attract uh, enough manufacturing. Now, the fortuitous position that we in, and I suppose the presentation that we have that we made today was around ports. And a lot of the work that we're doing in all of the cities in which we operate with their support is talking quite seriously with the province and the municipal government around how we might be able to work jointly, leveraging also our packages of property that we have, so that actually we also unlock not just the port in terms of investment, but also back of port in terms of creating spaces for manufacturing opportunities. Because here's the thing, most export-orientated economies do not have to deal with the 700-kilometer distance that we have to deal with in South Africa, where goods are coming from Gauteng 
and going to um, export routes. So it's actually quite crucial that not only as we invest in the ports, we invest in the ports, but we also find close to the ports manufacturing zones so that we can be able to genuinely take advantage of the opportunity that presents itself. So, honorable member, our view is that there is no time better and more urgent than the present to ensure that we have an efficient logistics system. Now, sadly, we can't have the cheapest logistics system because at the end of the day, we have to fund this directly off our balance sheet and we borrow uh, much of the money that we require. Uh, we've been talking a lot more closely with the uh, DPE um, in just in terms of looking at how everybody else in the world funds basic infrastructure. Our view, and that's why the new uh, white paper on rail uh, is, is a paper that we really support, is that it is about time that government was an active player in funding the infrastructure. The operations, we agree, that can be funded uh, by ourselves directly, but there's a lot more support that we require from the fiscus to fund the maintenance of the track and expansion of uh, capacity on, on the track. Nungkululago, can I just ask you to answer the question of gearing and the balance sheet, and then we'll move uh, down to uh, down each question, please. Thank you, Portia, and, and, and good, uh, good day to the honorable members. Good day to the honorable chair as well. Um, chair, where, how we look at the gearing of the balance sheet of Transnet is that we've got a long-term view that takes into account the financial plans in terms of what we're expecting to come in as financial um, income from our operations, but with the understanding that, as uh, the GCE says, we, we do have to raise money from the capital markets and uh, utilize that to continue with the so much needed projects that we have to run with. The, the second point to raise as well is that, as the uh, chief executive of uh, TNPA indicated, these are long-term projects that would take 10 years before we can uh, basically see revenue coming from them. So the approach we have taken in gearing is that we've got a five-year corporate plan that uh, has uh, uh, been supported by our board that says ideally the, the gearing of Transnet should range in the levels of 40 to 45%. Uh, and we look at this in the long term. At, at any given time, we may be going over that, and but we are working towards this long term. So if we look at the projects like this uh, core of deb and expansion, how we are looking at it is to say, how do we utilize uh, third-party money to continue with the construction to ensure that we can, we can support the so much needed economic growth? And this is where the concept, concept of uh, special purpose vehicles as well as partnerships comes in where we can continue with the work, ring fence uh, the money that is utilized into this special purpose vehicle until the project is uh, completed and basically brings revenue to the business. But it's something we have to manage uh, and ensure that in the overall uh, picture, the project continues, but the balance sheet of Transnet is not overburdened. And therefore, we are engaging uh, basically as we uh, 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 are busy with the project with various potential investors um, and lenders to see how we structure this, uh, this, this uh, project and make sure it's fully funded without overburdening uh, the balance sheet of Transnet. But in the long range, we are looking at ensuring that the balance sheet of Transnet continues to be leveraged or use other people's money, but in the range of 40 to 45%. Thank you, Chairperson.
Um, so the, the long and the short of it, what is approved by Treasury is 50%, right? So we are quite within, uh, we still have room uh, to borrow. But as Lego says, is that we can't uh, recklessly borrow. We need to be able to see the revenue that repays uh, those loans. Uh, and uh, uh, Pepe, do you want to come in on the questions uh, that the Honorable Nahat raised now? Um, yes, indeed. Uh, thank you very much, uh, GC. Um, uh, Chair, if I might then uh, start with the uh, question regarding, uh, in fact, for the East London, it was really a, a, a comments, uh, a Chair, yes, indeed, we, we, we welcome them. There is indeed um, a specific focus in each particular port. And, and the idea is to take each, each port to its maximum capability. And what we don't want to do is to have a self-fulfilling prophecy of a vicious cycle by not investing in a particular port and on the basis of underinvestment, it then underperforms, which in turn then confirms uh, our, if you like, a, 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 what might be a bias position that in fact that port is unlikely to perform. So what, and we're not talking about just creating infrastructure for the sake of it. It is targeted. There's some detailed work that, in fact, uh, needs to be done. And, and indeed, uh, the Port of East London is uh, very vital. Um, just beyond it, um, anchoring um, Mercedes-Benz, uh, because there's an industrial activity in that particular um, uh, city. And clearly, based on just the sheer development of the market, the sizes of the vessels that are coming by uh, not upgrading that particular port to enable it to handle the um, the current vessels we're making the cost of doing business in that region um, a lot more expensive. Of course, it must be scaled um, so that uh, we don't uh, uh, overinvest. So there is indeed, we concur, there is indeed an enormous opportunity. And besides, to the extent that there's an underutilized rail line that links to East London, it does make sense that we sweat all existing assets. Um, and, and it would make sense that uh, we put some more volumes uh, through that particular uh, uh, line. Um, Chair, insofar as uh, Port St. John's is concerned, uh, we would have to go back, uh, Chair, I am uh, honestly unsighted as to uh, the issues in respect of uh, Port St. John's, but we would happily go back and get um, a lot more detail uh, through the office of the GCE, and we would then uh, engage with that question uh, quite substantively uh, as to exactly what, uh, what was uh, required of that particular uh, precinct and, and what is actually uh, possible in that particular area. Um, if I might uh, move to the uh, next uh, uh, question, um, the floods in the port of Devon. Well, the, the, the floods generally have got a multi, uh, multifaceted uh, a dimension. They cut across um, a range of uh, uh, transnet uh, divisions and, and uh, with a uh, Transnet freight rail, I would suggest having suffered um, the most uh, significant uh, damages across uh, the line as it actually goes up and, uh, and out of KZ10, uh, linking uh, to the rest of the uh, hinterland. Insofar as uh, TNP is concerned, yes, that development or rather the impact was, uh, insofar as infrastructure is concerned, I would say relative to the impact on uh, TFR would be, I would classify it as moderate, 
nevertheless, in terms of quantums, um, as significant. We had a, um, a, the first 24 hours to about 30 hours were completely non-operational because we could not evacuate uh, the product, at least not through Bayhead. There was a little bit that was being evacuated uh, through the bluff, which goes through the, uh, a, an urban area, residential area with schools and, and that type of a, a thing. Of course, what was of assistance was the fact that that period straddled um, the Easter weekend, which uh, afforded us some time to re recover and at least create uh, some temporal um, exit uh, uh, points. And uh, yes, the cost uh, of uh, repair for, uh, uh, for TNPA um, is in the order of uh, billions of rents. We had our workshop, um, and that's where the bulk of our mechanical and electrical equipment um, is uh, concerned. That was actually uh, flooded. Um, the pump station uh, that are in fact linked to the dry dock, those were completely uh, flooded and the bay head was actually cut off. There was a lot of debris that was lying all over the uh, place. Of course, the terminal operators, I wouldn't uh, uh, speak on their behalf, but there was also significant uh, adverse uh, uh, impact. Um, so the, the, the cost implications, I think in the total uh, scheme of things for everybody, including private operators, um, indeed, share I would classify it as pretty significant, especially because it would be coming um, at the back of last year's, uh, if you like, uh, 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 disturbances, uh, social uh, disturbances. But the specific figures, uh, Chair, we could, um, uh, to be accurate, I'm a bit um, hesitant of, uh, if you like, uh, mentioning uh, numbers without being uh, pretty, uh, pretty accurate. And insofar as the expansion plans, whether that uh, development or rather the floods, whether they adversely impacted on the port developments. Not to the contrary, Chair, um, there is a saying that says we must never let a crisis go to waste. What it actually did was to, in fact, confirm and validate some of the pointers that our strategy colleagues had actually been pointing to us, in particular insofar as ensuring, ensuring that uh, the linkages between the port and the rest of the city, that we look at those um, in, a, in a much more critical light, and that we plan for the projected uh, volumes and that we create alternatives. Often creating alternatives in the midst of nothing happening is regarded as a wasteful expenditure until such time that you actually need um, the alternative and the consequence of not having it by far exceeds the cost of having provided that, uh, that alternative. So it has afforded us to expedite the development of the Bayhead uh, precinct um, we're expediting the development of the track staging area. Um, insofar as the canals are concerned, we are revising our stormwater master plans. Um, ordinarily, from an engineering point of view, we would be planning, um, if you bold, you would do a one in 50 year flood. And if you're crazy, you would do one in 100. We're now having to look at one into 500 a, a year floods, meaning that things that would happen once in a 500 year in these days are actually happening twice in two years. And that gives you a sense of regularity and therefore the need to scale up infrastructure differently. We're also needing to work hand in glove and that is already happening between ourselves and the and the city in particular, the Etovini um, a, a city. There are particular roads that have already been handed over to TNPA for purposes of expedited uh, 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 development. And those that have not been handed over, there's joint planning that is actually taking place, including the restoration of uh, uh, the Bayhead itself was done hand in glove between the KZN government 
um, the Etegoni uh, Metro, as well as uh, ourselves uh, from the uh, Transnet uh, side. Um, the next uh, question is around the business uh, confidence. I must say, Chair, there was quite a lot of uh, positive feedback, um, at least insofar as the time that it actually took, number one, to restore um, the functionality of that particular road. Um, because a business appreciated that that was a natural hazard that uh, uh, nobody could prevent. So the question was not whether or not it had actually happened. Um, it was not also whether or not the damage that had been suffered had actually been caused, was the extent to which once it had happened, what was the speed of uh, the response, the scale of a, a, a response, um, and the interim measures that were actually put in place whilst uh, permanent solutions were actually being uh, uh, put in place. And on that front, uh, we, we did receive um, very positive uh, feedback about also the extent to which the stakeholders were kept on board from the community. They were able to make uh, the plans, knowing exactly what was actually happening. Um, as soon as the crisis became apparent, um, a joint planning, um, what I would call a war room a council was established, which was coordinated um, and chaired uh, by uh, TNPA, in particular, um, the board manager of uh, Deben, uh, Ms. Dweba. Um, and that enabled um, the stakeholders to make inputs. We also collaborated chair, with the private sector uh, because some of the repair work was, in fact, if you like, uh, facilitated and expedited at the instance of the private sector. So it was a, 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 a good opportunity to test a partnership that should be a model of how we should be going uh, uh, forward. Insofar as environmentalists are concerned, uh, uh, Chair, yes, there have been, we, we've got detailed records um, of decisions that were recorded insofar as the EIAs that were conducted um, in the port of uh, uh, Devon. And also one of the critical features in those um, record of decisions is recommendations as to how um, the adverse impact to be, could be ameliorated um, by way of alternative plans. And that is something that we are actually looking at. We're very intense chair on stakeholder consultation and some of those uh, stakeholders would find representations through the Port Consultative Committee as well as through the National Port Consultative uh, Committee. Now that we are in what we would call the last legs of conceptual uh, development, we're going to be going back to all of those particular stakeholders and having intense a consultation. So we, we do accept the imperative of environmental sustainability in the port a, a, a development. And we do take those issues. And it's not a question of numbers. It's a question of the significance of impact of the issue that has actually been raised, even if it actually comes, if you like, from a small stakeholder. Um, and uh, Chair, that those would be the questions, uh, GCE, that were from Honorable Nana. I don't know if I should uh, move to the other questions from Honorable Anot. Um, can yeah, I'm just gonna. I just want to close off, uh, baby, on so that it's the comprehensive. And as far as the impacts of the floods in uh, KZN, they really have been extensive. And as Bebi um, was indicating, uh, the port uh, uh, we were really, I mean, uh, able to get the port to full operation in less than three days, actually. The real challenge was sorting out uh, Bayhead Road, and I really must uh, thank TNPA for stepping up and taking over uh, the responsibility for delivering that, pro um, that project. We're quite far along in finding an alternative 
another routing so that we increase the capacity out of the port. As you know by now, um, Bayhead is back to its full original capacity. But the view was always it should be much bigger than that. So the total uh, for, for Transnet, exposure for Transnet out of, that, uh, out of the floods, which uh, uh, approaches uh, 6 billion rand. Uh, and it's really a, a serious challenge that uh, we need to find uh, funding to, to make sure that we're able to, to deal with that, uh, with that expenditure. On the issue, I mean, we will follow up on Port Elizabeth, but I just wanted to also be uh, pretty frank, um, honorable uh, member is that with one of the challenges, I mean, if you look at Australia, Australia's got like over 20-something ports um, because just of the size of the country. Um, and some of them, most of them are small ports which uh, serve a basic uh, small uh, purpose. But it's commercial ports as about 10 ports. And of the 10 commercial ports, four are the most important port, and that's ports, and that's where they put in most of the money. Because it's expensive to invest in ports and to have a fully operational uh, port. So I do think that uh, one of the things that we've been trying to do is to looking at the commercial ports that we have, is to find use the segment strategy to ensure that there's alignment in the investment that we make so that we avoid uh, duplication, and so we can create scale, because unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, because it has an impact on environmental, on climate change and emissions. Um, shipping lines are now using these super large vessels. And in fact, it's not just an issue on the containers only. Even the vessels uh, that are now for bulk commodities are getting even bigger, which means that they prefer large uh, ports which have huge capacity as opposed to the smaller ports where they uh, run with bulk runs. Now, having said that, the real opportunity also arises is that as there's a move towards hub strategies where there's super large ports, is that the smaller ports are now finally able to find some life because uh, what happens is that the distribution from the large ports is now also affected by small shipping uh, lines and it's really smaller vessels that move commodity from one port to the other uh, port. So we watch as, as those developments arise but uh, as uh, Pepe's indicated, we will uh, collect the data and, and, and revert and review um, and revert um, on, the, uh, on that one. Uh, Pepe, if you, you do want to move on, Nungulago uh, and Andrew, I think uh, in some ways, uh, the stuff maybe for the Honorable Honor, when you come to the issue of SPVs, these are just um, the structures that we're setting up for the convenience of. Uh, when we are forming a, part a partnership with the private sector in a particular area. So the SPV uh, that you raise uh, in terms of uh, Pier 2 um, as well as uh, NCT, we think that they're absolutely crucial to help us resolve two very somewhat distinct uh, problems. Number one, in, in uh, Pier 2, Durban has got to, we got to improve its ranking in terms of performance, uh, that's a fact. And so one of the, the, the challenges that we have, and I think I'll tie you back with the issue of gearing, number one, but also, uh, which is an area that Jagum Dagi, who's the CEO of T, uh, TPT, has been working on, is sorting out our, um, uh, in fact, it's uh, TPT working with TE, uh, Transit Engineering, sorting out what is our maintenance practice and protocols and transit so that we don't get to the situation where port equipment is so badly damaged, as is the case. There's number one. Number two, 
there's also just the very real fact is that if you're running a terminal that's supposed to have, uh, for example, Cape Town is supposed to contain, Cape Town container terminal is supposed to be a three birth operation. It requires us to have nine uh, ship to shore uh, cranes. Now we still don't have nine, we have eight at this stage, but we're in the process um, of moving uh, one towards um, uh, the, the Western Cape. In fact, we should actually be having 10 and not nine, because if you have a proper maintenance schedule at any given time, one must be out for maintenance so that you can have reliability assured. So that's where we are moving uh, uh, towards. We're nowhere near there, but at least in as far as the plan to move in that direction, we're quite far uh, in terms of that. So what does the SPV help us? In the in Pier 2, which is actually our, pre, our premier container terminal, we need to quickly get to that point where we have the right number of equipment available, operating optionally, and then we have also the redundancy that's necessary so that as one goes out for maintenance, we are able to maintain exactly the right number of cranes that are necessary for a fully functional port. So that's what the partnership in Pier 2, uh, Pier 2 helps us solve, which is an operational issue. And I suppose a funding issue to get to the right uh, num- amount of equipment that we need for an efficient uh, container terminal. In the case of Nuha, the partnership is intended um, to get us volumes. And I think Betby was absolutely clear that actually we should be getting to 2 million TUs. We've invested to 1.5 million TUs. We're only uh, just at uh, north of, um, in fact, because of COVID, we fell below uh, the 50% mark, but we've often only been at 50%. We really need to get a partner who controls cargo. Initially, I suppose, for transshipment, but our view is that if uh, the, the municipality of Koreja and CDC were able to position themselves as real manufacturing bases, we might be able to attract the kind of uh, cargo that actually goes towards the just-in-case manufacturing that I was referring to, so that there's greater value added and more jobs that happen in South Africa. So that's that's what the um, the SPVs are supposed to, to, to do. And as far as the, the separation between uh, TNPA and TPT, um, what we have done, and I think the question came up about uh, the board of... Uh, uh, TNPA, we've got uh, three board members who have been appointed as uh, uh, members of the board of TNPA. It's uh, 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 Professor Musumadi, uh, uh, Ms. Pacheca, as, uh, as well as uh, uh, Mr. Bonziena. The chair is Professor Musumadi of uh, TNPA. Um, we as uh, executive, and in fact, one of the issues that we're working to resolve is the issue of uh, the um, uh, our company, uh, the, the head of legal will know the, the legal terminology um, of, of a conflict. I'm going to use that word. Maybe it's not even quite the right legal word, but of a conflict between the 2006 uh, Ports Act and the 2008 uh, Companies Act, which actually supersedes the Ports Act, where there needs to be alignment in the Ports Act with the, that dimension. Uh, number one, which would then enable us to properly form TNPA as a subsidiary of transport. I mean, we cannot repeat this as many times enough, actually, that TNPA has to be seen in form and content 
to be 100% subsidiary of Transnet under the control of Transnet. So we're quite far in the MOIs uh, that we've drafted, but our MOI requires that there's a resolution of this conflict between the Companies Act and NPA so that it can be effected. Once effected, uh, we've basically, as Transnet, worked on the governance structure that would ensure that there would be consistency right into the future in how group gov- um, governs or oversees uh, the subsidiaries when they establish it. So the ultimate intention is not only to have uh, three board members, but also to have three executive members as members of the board so that we can ensure that there's always alignment in the strategy of the entity as well as the strategy of, um, of, of Transnet. But this is work in progress and is, is progressing well. But just for assurance, the issue that we needed to deal with was to ensure that there was no bias in the decisions that TNPA takes relative to uh, uh, TPT. Uh, we can assure you, at least from the group level, is that we've been absolutely clear that we do not interfere in the administrative decisions that TNPA has to take with regards to every single terminal operator, not only TPT, everyone. TPT, inclusive of uh, private sector terminal operators, because something we often forget, that there are actually about 98 licenses in South Africa, and we only have 16, um, at least in terms of the containers, uh, those uh, that we have um, uh, directly ourselves. I don't know, Pepe, if you, you want to come in at that point, just to, uh, in terms of how you're affecting the, 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 the governance, but hopefully, uh, members, um, we could proceed. Yeah, Pepe? Um, uh, thank you very much, uh, Chisi. Um, and, and Chair, we've gone about, and if I just stick to the question of uh, underperformance uh, by uh, TNPA, I think, Chair, the, the, the TNPA's underperformance um, has been pervasive um, in what I would call the port system and is not limited to, if you like, uh, the divisions of uh, Transnet to the extent that we are the ones who uh, license terminal operations um, and we do that in terms of uh, terminal agreements, conditions of which we should be monitoring and ensuring that those conditions are in fact honoured. Um, and uh, we would find that uh, we have, if you like, we've got a lot of room for improvement in how we have actually been discharging that particular thing, uh, uh, function. In so far as performance thresholds, that would be the conditions of the award, um, where those performance thresholds had not been met by all terminal operators. Um, there's been very minimal, if any, action that has actually been taken to enforce the conditions. Obviously, failure of those particular conditions, meeting those conditions, would adversely impact on the uh, competitiveness ratings of the port uh, system. What I think, Chair, needs to be uh, emphasized is that um, often when people talk about the underperformance of the ports, that is assumed to mean underperformance of TNPA. Um, But to the extent that there's a very clear separation between TNPA as the uh, entity in terms of the act that is charged with the core responsibility of a landlord function, um, marine services, regulatory and compliance uh, functions, is to provide uh, infrastructure that is fit for purpose and ensure that uh, the port is operated safely insofar as bringing the vessels in 
and also taking those vessels out. Also, the maritime equipment would be a, a, a critical in that respect, as well as ensuring that uh, there's compliance to the applicable rules, and there would be many of those. So generally, when we talk about uh, competitiveness of the port, it also talks to the extent to which the terminal operators uh, are in fact uh, uh, performing on a competitive uh, uh, basis. And I'm going to be linking uh, uh, the questions because there was a question of the performance, for instance, of the port of Devon uh, relative to other ports. Indeed, Chair, in the competitiveness rankings, um, we are embarrassingly low, um, even as it relates to the African uh, uh, continent. Uh, we are, in fact, uh, uh, lagging behind. We are no more sitting at the apex of that competitive uh, uh, positioning. And also, if you look at the levels of investments that have actually been poured in these other ports, you would find that there's been significant attention that has been paid uh, by other uh, countries. And indeed, um, an honourable member, we do visit uh, these particular ports to try and benchmark uh, uh, what we're actually doing. Our colleagues have been to Ghana, uh, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, um, uh, uh, to Benin, we've been to uh, Namibia, Mozambique, um, uh, Mombasa. So there is a constant benchmarking and also looking for what we would call a comparative best uh, uh, foot forward so that we compete with the best in our division because there would be uh, different uh, divisions as it would be the case in boxing. But if you do look at the port of Deben, because the question uh, that was asked uh, by uh, uh, Honorable uh, uh, Modise was the around the uh, uh, ship uh, uh, turnaround uh, uh, time. We are performing very badly. If you look at the uh, benchmark, which is about for the ship turnaround time, which is about uh, 50 hours, um, we are at the moment in the last quarter, in the last three quarters of 2021 2022, um, we were sitting in particular quarter three we were sitting at 93, and in quarter four, we were sitting at 97. Obviously, quarter two, which would have been adversely impacted by the uh, social upheavals, we went up to 114, which was close um, to two and a half uh, uh, the, uh, the time that uh, we needed to take, to have less than half uh, at the time for us to actually uh, keep up. Um, the other one in which we're actually uh, uh, underperforming is in the encourage hours. We're also underperforming. We should also be performing just a tad below 50. And we, in the last uh, quarter, for instance, we're sitting at uh, 74. The average for the year of last financial year was 90. The same with the marine service delays. We are uh, performing a little bit better on, on bad productivity. It should be sitting around 56 and we sit at about 42 moves per hour. Um, and the same with the ship working hour. Uh, the target is supposed to be about 65, and we were sitting in the average of about 45 uh, moves uh, uh, per hour. We have focused on the underperformance around the three areas that we talked about. We have renegotiated um, the performance agreement, agreement with the terminal operators. We have instituted a penalty and an incentive uh, system, not without unhappiness on their part, but this is something that uh, we are working on uh, uh, quite uh, uh, significantly. So why are the ports, and, and that's a question that was asked by Honorable Mwenya, why are the ports uh, uh, in, in the West Coast and in the North, uh, uh, Northern Hemisphere or uh, 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 overperforming compared to, to where we are at? 
it's uh, two issues, if I might uh, uh, propose uh, respectfully, uh, Honorable Nguenya. It's one, uh, investments. Um, the, 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 the propensity of uh, our country to wait until it's too late and only then to try and hurry with investment, time over and again across sectors, is proven to be a fatal flaw. We would recall the freeways that were clogged and then there was a major upgrade of uh, freeways. Um, to reduce the time, average time it would take for you to drive from the airport, let's say, to uh, Pretoria. So we need to get into a, a mindset that um, economic infrastructure is a necessary condition for economic development. Nobody is arguing that it is a sufficient condition that only if you do it, then everything is going to happen. But the proposition is that if you don't do it, nothing is going to happen. And uh, sometimes you'll never know if it would have happened if you didn't have it. Um, and those countries, as well as companies that are able to exploit uh, the cycles, are companies that actually develop productive capacity when the tide is down. And when the demand pitches up, then they are able to exploit that. In fact, in the coal uh, business, it has just proven to be uh, precisely uh, correct. And, and that is the argument in economic infrastructure. And the ports are no different from that particular argument. So one of the major causes has been under uh, investment in these ports. Is it because that money was, in fact, being repatriated and to be used elsewhere within the Transnet division? The evidence that we've looked at shows something different. It shows that it is due to complete underperformance by ourselves as TNPA. It is sheer lack of delivery. There was never a strategic intent, at least from the evidence, that money will be repatriated elsewhere. But once a budget of 3 billion rands has been approved and you only use 500 million rands, the consequence of that is that for that money, um, it, it would be put to good use uh, elsewhere. But not as a strategic intent, but rather as a consequence of underperformance of uh, TNP. So we are finding that we're having to spend a lot of time in the institutional development and ensuring that the culture is the one Recording that is stopped. to development. So Recording I just in want progress. To what the difference has been from a performance point of view between the rest of the other ports as well as uh, uh, our South African system. We were not monitoring and ensuring that the performance of uh, the terminals were performing to target and consequence management in the event that they were not uh, performing ourselves as an institution, we were not performing in particular as it relates to investment in infrastructure. That then became a barrier to the type of uh, uh, clients and cargo that would require the type of vessels that we actually uh, uh, need. Um, and if I might just uh, uh, go back to the question of who are our stakeholders, there was the question from Honorable Nguyen. We've got a detailed list of stakeholders and because each port has got what is called a port consultative committee, which is a statutory requirement from our legislation, and all the stakeholders, and these would be the, the, the shipping uh, uh, liners, um, the shipping uh, uh, agents, um, the client representative bodies, those would be like uh, people who might be in the, in the citrus uh, uh, fruit uh, industry, and they've got uh, the formal associations across these uh, particular disciplines, the logistics uh, representative uh, uh, associations, and all of these particular stakeholders um, find expression in these port consultative committees. 
and ultimately there is a national uh, port consultative committee and it is as a, a legal requirement that they must be consulted on a formal basis and ultimately that particular statutory body if I might use that particular term would then make recommendations um, to uh, to the Minister of uh, Department of uh, Transport. As I indicate, uh, Chair, that we pay particular attention to stakeholders, not just on the basis of their size um, or influence, but what is important for us is the substantive issue that they actually raise um, so that we're able to pay attention to each of those uh, issues that would have a, a significant impact on the outcome of the work that we actually uh, uh, do. I think on so far as priority to the number seven, Honorable is that yes, in terms of achieving a, a better a, a continent, we are in fact in the strategic partnerships that we are actually forging. That includes uh, for the neighboring uh, countries like Namibia and Mozambique, we're looking at partnerships, ensuring that in so far as acquisition of type of capability that requires a lot of capital, like dredgers, that we are able to acquire collectively that in so far as, for instance, the type of machinery, even on the terminal side, which would be outside of TNPA, that if it is possible that the common type of machinery is actually acquired to enable any of the inventory, which would be the stores, so that maintenance of this particular equipment, it's much easier and the stores, there's a pool from which the stores can, uh, uh, rather the, uh, the spare parts can actually be drawn so that you reduce the downtime. So there is a strategic uh, uh, intent an action that is actually being taken to ensure that uh, we actually act in concert with the continent in which we are actually uh, located. From a sustainability point of view, we are perform, uh, pursuing uh, sustainability objectives, including diversity, equity, as well as inclusivity, which all of those would be um, a pursuit of objectives to make a better life uh, uh, for all. Um, if I might just move uh, relatively very quickly to the a question uh, that the Honourable Chair asked around the sense of transformation. Um, Your Royal Highness, you, you're very correct in pointing out that uh, there is a significant uh, deficiency in transformation um, as it plays itself out insofar as the profile of the terminal operators, um, the leases that we actually have in place, notwithstanding the fact that the Act itself prescribes that we must achieve um, at a minimum level of level four. But we think that that is completely inadequate um, and insufficient for the strategic objective of, uh, uh, of our country. So the starting point is to admit right up front that where we are, whilst it might be complying with the legislation as it actually stands, but by far doesn't even go halfway to where we think um, a sustainable, inclusive uh, South African nation should actually be looking at from an economic uh, profile point of view. So part of what we are actually doing in the renewal of the leases, which was one of the significant underperforming performing areas, it basically uh, up to now takes give, a, give or take up to two years before we actually award a terminal license agreement, by which time or a, a, a lease agreement by which time a particular investor has been operating on a month to month and they don't know whether they should invest or they shouldn't invest and the other one who thought that because the other list was coming to an end and they have a vested interest they don't know whether they should retain the capacity that they would have prepared 
so that they can uh, uh, exploit that particular opportunity. So insofar as creating business confidence and business predictability and certainty, we were doing the exact uh, 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 opposite of, uh, uh, of that. So from a transformation point of view, we're using the opportunity availed by the leases that are expiring to look at a transformed. And one of those is in the island view, which is the heartland of the liquid um, uh, area in the fuels uh, industry, but across the port system. It is an area that we're going to be reporting on uh, quite uh, hard. In some instances, what that means is a much greater engagement with a business sector to enable the uh, communities from previously disadvantaged to have a much better state of readiness so that we don't take them by surprise when these opportunities are actually advertised. Because by when often you don't have the tax uh, certificate, the resources have not been mobilized, the finances have actually not been sorted out, um, and it is too late, um, even if you afford a month or so, to, for people to actually mobilize to be able to exploit these particular opportunities. That includes ensuring access to the terminals as you correctly uh, uh, pointed out. Um, uh, you see, my, my sense is I've covered the ones that I think are relevant to me. If there's something that I've missed, I would be quite happy to, to come back to it. Thank you. Thank you, Chen. Now, I think you, you've, uh, to my mind, maybe you seem to have um, uh, covered everything. Can I just close on this one? I mean, auto is really very important for all of us. Uh, at present, we have uh, three ports that move uh, autos, Durban, uh, East London, and um, uh, uh, Port of Port Elizabeth. Um, there's a lot of changes that we've introduced, actually, in terms of um, uh, how we manage the auto terminals. Um, uh, TPT uh, have appointed one single manager, and that's Wandi Sabazi, who is now responsible for all of the auto terminals. And we felt that it was really important that we move in that direction so that there would be consistency in the business model and the operating model that we'd implement right across the system and not have a patchwork um, of, uh, of models across the system. So that, number one, is really important. Number two, uh, our primary export port for vehicles will remain Durban for obviously re reason. The shortest distance between Gauteng and, um, and export routes is the container route, which is from Gauteng uh, through to, to the port. Now we are hopeful that we might be able to increase the number of vehicles that we move on rail and not only on road, but be that as it may, at the port side, what we're wanting to do is to ensure that we have a streamlined, efficient uh, process so that we can be able to achieve the same turnaround towns that they're able to achieve in the world, uh, in the world number one, in, in some of the, in fact, with the ports with which we compete. Because the point that Bebi was making, I think is really crucial, is that the idea that we be compete, uh, compared to anyone in every single one in the world does not make sense. It is important that the competitor ports are the ports that we know actually they have the sector. So for example, a tough competitor for us, and it's not because you want to drop the yardstick, it's really tough competitor for us is uh, Port of Thailand. And it's important that as the port, we compare ourselves to Thailand because when the OEMs in South Africa bid against project, one of the most difficult areas for them to beat is the uh, competitiveness of Thailand. So we need to directly contribute towards that. So that's number one. The other though, we've been talking to the industry is that saying we must improve the throughput. Ports are not storage points. And for too long in transit, 
we've been, we have allowed that. And I suppose it's a reflection of having excess capacity. We have allowed um, companies, uh, exporters and importers to use us as points of storage. Ports are supposed to be throughput. The port is supposed to get it, keep it for the shortest time possible, move it out, either exporting it or importing it and moving it to final destination. So that we've been clear about. And the same we've made very clear to the OEMs is that we're no longer keeping vehicles at the port. If it's over then, if it's longer than a minimum specified period, we're going to start charging significantly more so that they too can change um, their behavior on the other side. Now that's crucial because the minute you change your performance, you suddenly discover that there's no need to expand capacity anyway uh, for storage of vehicles, neither in East London, nor in, uh, at uh, the port in Port Elizabeth, excepting in Durban, where we do have to make the operations a lot more efficient. Um, and there, there's quite a lot of work uh, that's been done. Uh, honorable members, I mean, there, there were some questions that the honorable member uh, Nguyenya asked, which weren't entirely clear uh, to me, uh, um, but I'm hoping that in Pepe's answering, he, he may have um, covered most of those areas, but I'm not sure, uh, Honourable Chair, we, we will wait to hear if uh, the Honourable Members are com comfortable with the answers that we've provided. Uh, thank you. Susposhi, uh, are you done? Yes, Shane. Um, sorry, I, I thought you had. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. I I thought maybe you were still uh, breathing. Uh, <laughs> so I was waiting for the moment where in you were to say that uh, that's it, Chair, we are done with our questions. No, thank you very much uh, for the questions. Uh, as I had indicated that there was an honorable member who had a question, who, who had raised a, a hand, and I see that uh, the Honorable One now is back. Uh, he must have been ejected by the system. Honorable Malewu, you are, you are welcome. And uh, please just uh, raise your question. We, we did recognize you, but you are not there at a time when we gave you an opportunity. This is the time for you now uh, to uh, take the stage. Good morning, uh, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Members and uh, our transport colleagues and the Department of uh, Public Enterprises colleagues that are attending. My name is Constance Malejo. Um, should I have my video on? Yes, please. Okay, my name is Constance Malejo. I'm the acting chief director in the transport department of uh, public enterprises. Chairperson, uh, uh, I'm in my school uniform. I'm not in my normal uh, clothing. <laughs> please don't be surprised. I did raise my hand earlier on uh, to apologize for the DG of public enterprises, um, but the chair could not uh, recognize me. The DG is not in the meeting. He's held up at another meeting and I apologize for raising the apology late in the meeting. I just needed to, if chair allows me, uh, can I just respond uh, to the uh, question that was asked on the TNPA? Um, the CO, the GCO touched on it, but I just wanted to add some uh, information. May I go ahead, Chair? 
Yes, I wanted to add on the uh, question that was asked on the uh, TNPA board, whether the uh, TNPA has a board. Um, the, the board is still interim at the moment. Um, the interim board was extended again uh, on the 25th uh, of May by the minister, and the, the permanent board will be appointed um, once the process for the uh, subsidization will be, is, is completed. And the board uh, still has three members. Uh, it's Professor uh, Sidney Mufumadi, Professor Louis Bonzena, and Ms. Dimakato Matsuha. Um, and I also just wanted to comment um, in terms of, you know, the uh, content of the presentation of, of Transnet. Um, the issue of funding uh, has become quite serious and the department is working uh, continuously with uh, the Transnet uh, just to try and see how we can re resolve uh, the issues because the landscape has changed um, the, for us to improve the competitiveness of Transnet. Uh, some things need you know, to uh, change uh, because competitiveness does, does uh, depend on infrastructure. And we do, we're doing that both on the side of the rail and uh, on the um, uh, port side. Uh, but I also just wanted to mention that as uh, all of these things are being planned, the, the investments are being planned, um, there is uh, an importance uh, required of uh, consulting uh, stake, with stakeholders. Uh, the department and ministry continuously consults with uh, the industry and I also uh, want to mention that uh, labor also is an important uh, element, and I know that the Transnet does uh, consult with them, um, you know, so that the process uh, goes ahead smoothly. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, uh, Honorable Malehu, and uh, I will now. Uh, hand over again to Usus Poshia to deal with uh, the issues that you are raising. Usus uh, Poshia, can you please uh, assist? I'm sorry that we are moving you backward and forward, but it's because of the network issues. Some are located in rural spaces, others are affected by load shedding and so on and so forth. So uh, please uh, take, take, uh, can you tackle that question in the comment? Um, Honourable Chair, I, I think that that wasn't a question to me. That was a statement. That uh, uh, Constance is in the Department of Public Enterprises, so it's not uh, she's not a member um, uh, of the committee. Uh, so I think she was just supporting some of the statements, the answers that we were providing. Thank you very much. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I am also in the same position here of the unstable network, so I couldn't hear some of the things that she was saying. But thank you for that. Honorable members, um, that is the answers as well as the responses which have been made in relation to the comments. Uh, I'm not sure if the members still have uh, 
follow up questions or second bite on what has been said um, i will uh, i will look into the platform and see if members have got further things or you can assist me amanda there if there are members who have raised further hands i don't see any hands on my side no, it's there. There are no further hands. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to express uh, uh, my sincere gratitude uh, to you as well as Ndadesilinga for having taken us through this presentation. We really appreciate and we sincerely hope that uh, all the things that have been stated here, you will be able to meet the targets and this expansion is quite, is quite needed in the post-COVID economic trajectory that we are seeing, wherein we expect a lot of recovery. And uh, Transnet plays a key role in the economy of our country. We have moved Transnet from being a shelter employment organization into a business that is helping the country to move forward, but in the same vein, create jobs. These projects must ensure that they play a very significant and a meaningful role in the triple challenges that are facing our economy and our country, uh, especially the job creation. Because when you invest in infrastructure, you create an opportunity for more jobs. And this is what we expect from your good office, from your organization in particular, because it is one of the major uh, institutions of our economy. And we have got full confidence in you with your experience to lead your team in this direction. Also, the experience that is entailed in the leadership of Ndadepe Pisilinga is expected us to, to, to lead exactly us in that direction, which we expect. These expansions are very key and strategic. We don't want to rely just in one port as a country because that is very dangerous and it is a recipe for a disaster. If any disaster happens, then the country is completely blocked. So we like this expansion in Ruha, in East London, and elsewhere. And uh, we would want to, in the near future, to get a sense as well of what is happening in the Western Cape, because a lot of movement from the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean of major and massive shipments are taking place in that uh, equation. Uh, it would be great to hear um, what is happening at that level in future engagement. So that being said, we want to really thank you and, uh, and, and, and wish you all the best. Uh, we want now to release you. Thank you so much, unless you have one thing to say before you leave, but on our side, we are, we are covered with what you have said. No, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. Have a good day. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable members, we will remain on the platform to consider um, one item before we close the meeting. And that is the item that uh, relates to the minutes of uh, the previous meeting. Let's just uh, give the team from DPE an opportunity to leave. Uh, Amanda, have they all left? They are still leaving, Chen. 
Okay, we'll give them just one minute to leave the room. They have all left chair. Honorable members, now the item is uh, relates to the minutes of the previous meeting. Those minutes were shared uh, with us in advance prior to this meeting. Uh, if members have got some corrections to make from those minutes, additions, uh, as they are being screened, uh, they can indicate. Otherwise, if there is nothing material that members wants to add, I will be asking for a, a formal adoption of these minutes. Any issue that uh, members you wish to highlight for correction in the minutes? No one is raising the hand. Any mover for the adoption of the minutes? Chair, this is BBA. I move for the adoption of the minutes, Chairperson. Thanks. Honorable Mama BB moves for the adoption of the minutes. Any seconder? Honorable Mudise, seconder, Chair. Honorable Modise has seconded uh, the adoption of the minutes. Do we have any different view? No, there is no, no, there is no different view. The minutes are duly adopted. Honorable members, those minutes now are part and parcel of the legacy of this committee as duly adopted. I want to take this opportunity to appreciate your presence in the meeting and thank you very much for the deliberations and the comments that you have made. And uh, I think it was quite a very fruitful meeting and uh, allow me to thank you members and uh, also release you as you go about to do your work uh, this afternoon. Wishing you a wonderful afternoon and we'll see you in the plenaries. Thank you so much. The meeting is duly uh, concluded. We are adjourned until further notice. Thank you, members. Thank you. Thank you so much, Baba. Thank you, Chairperson. Record.